Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. And a good Wednesday morning, Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, and Mark Dykton as we reach, I guess for some, day two of the work week. For others, day three here. Pacers and Thunder tonight. 7.30, our coverage will begin for o- from Oklahoma City. Game two of a four-game road trip as we start to get to week two of the Tyrese Halliburton absence again. Reevaluated here coming up next week midweek and some Colts head coaching news a candidate with the most head coaching experience of anybody so far added to the list and one name removed from the list good morning Jake good morning Mark uh did you watch Notre Dame last night I did um yeah I think Mike Bray should be fired by probably 8 a.m <laughs> okay yeah they were down I actually wore the sweatshirt you know it's one of those things where we live in an older home not a lot of closet space, so I actually have a closet in Max's nursery. So my clothes for the next day I need to remove from that room before Max goes to bed. Gotcha. So okay. Max's final feed of the night and before he goes down is around 7. So I go in there about 6.45 and I'm thinking, you know what? Notre Dame's favorite tonight. They're going to win. Why don't I grab the Notre Dame sweatshirt? It's always cozy. I enjoy wearing it. You like it? Kind of a nice sweatshirt. Yeah, it's nice, yeah. I mean, aside from the logo, yeah. So I grab, well, yeah, geez. Um, I grab it, waited for you guys to show up. You guys must have not gotten the proper address. And uh, 13 to nothing, they were down. 13 nothing by the time I settled in. Uh, they lose, and the press conference was awkward with Bray afterwards. Yeah, he's, he's going to get fired. The Notre Dame podcast I listen to the most already starting to talk candidates. Um, so I wore, I'm wearing this in a celebration of a new era for Notre Dame basketball about to be on the, on the horizon. Actually, Mark and I got together last night and watched the Kansas-Kansas State game. Heck of a game, right, Mark? Really good. Yeah, I mean, really I know good. that... And, you, and the you finger didn't want to watch Notre great. Dame and Florida State? No, nah, you know, that game went... Mark was going to leave... You told your wife we'd be home by like 9 or something, mm-hmm. but the game went late and we just... Yeah. Had some PBRs, cracked open a can yeah. of SpaghettiOs, went to town. It, it was good, man. Do you believe that in the... the Uber driver. Was he cool? Very cool. Okay, cool. Eduardo, thank you, sir. Yeah. he was. Did you give him five stars? Of course. Okay. Do you believe in the um, the guys accomplished so much for your program, he should choose when he leaves or how he leaves? Like, there are some, again, there's not many Notre Dame basketball fans. There are some that are like, Mike Bray has earned that right. Boy, that, that's a tricky one, because what if you have a guy that just doesn't know when it's time, right? You know, has Jim Beheim earned the right to have his coach in waiting? Didn't he have that? And the guy like went to Washington at one point? I think that's right. Jim Beheim's still coaching, isn't he? Right. Like, so wasn't it, he supposed to retire like four years ago? I, I, yeah, I thought like a decade ago. Um, so yeah, I mean, Notre Dame basketball makes for riveting radio. I, I, it didn't sound like it was a good night over at Hinkle either. Maybe Notre Dame and Butler should play each other. I have long felt with Butler, and I'm not saying this to be to pile on because I've said this forever, and I can't put a finger on it. 
the Big East altogether is a different style of basketball. It's a different league than any other league in college basketball. It has... I don't know, honestly, I really don't know. The recruiting base, maybe? I mean, it seems very just like New York, Philly-based. It's probably naive of me. I'm probably thinking way, like, archaically. I, I honestly can't put a finger on it about what's different about the Big East. Just in ter- Kind of like it's it has kind of a mix of old-school, like, West Forth basketball and then also like guard oriented basketball. But either way, it just felt like a different animal that Butler was getting into when it joined the Big East. I never thought Butler should have left the Atlantic 10. And I know they were only in the A10 for, I think, two years, but that's a really good league. You know, when you're in the Horizon League, you basically have to win your league to get into the NCAA tournament for the most part or have a right four or five. To one bid league. season, right. Yeah, the A-10, you probably get a couple bids. And the A-10 usually gets three or four in, and they are schools that are a nice mix in terms of their geography, their style of play, the the, the smaller nature of the schools. You know, like a lot of the big, the big East schools are bigger, almost like commuter-type schools. I mean, St. John's is in a major metro area. Georgetown is in a major metro yeah, area. Marquette, DePaul. And I realize Connecticut's not, but I, I don't know. I, I just, I've always wondered if that's the right fit for them, and, and now Thad Mott is a hell of a coach, there's no doubt, but this thing feels like it's starting from the, the ground floor. Yeah, I appreciate Butler's ambition going to the Big East. Uh, bless you, Mark. And, and obviously, Thad Mott is not even through year one, has had a lot of injuries to deal with. So, you know, by no means am I like, oh, I got a can Mata. You know, I'm very curious to see how the next couple of years are going to unfold. But I also didn't think Butler would get blown out to the effect that they've gotten blown out in really every single Big East loss. Uh, you look at their six losses. Last night, they lose by 21 to Creighton at home. They've lost by 20, 22, 20, 25, 16, and 21. Those are the six Big East losses. And I don't think we look at the Big East this year. And yes, Xavier's a really good team. They haven't played Xavier yet. Uh, Villanova is not your you know older brother's Villanova. Um, it's not like they're littered with three teams in the top 10, top 15 that Butler has played so far. So, uh, yeah, maybe Butler and Notre Dame can meet in, you know, Peru. And uh, how about, by the way, play a game to see. Now, would that be the nation at? of Peru or the town of Peru? Yeah, Miami County, maybe okay. something like that. There's a jail up there, right? Uh, I was on my way. Do you remember the Reggie Bush push game? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, the Notre yeah. Dame-USC um, game. Yeah. I Kevin was covering that. Nice. I was going to say, unfortunately, I was there. Otis Jones and I were on our way up to cover that game. We stopped oh, at Otis a, is a good dude. He's a great dude. Uh, we stopped at a gas station, whatever, in I think it was Peru. And in Miami County, there is a good McDonald's BP Connect, like in the I think Rochester it was a BP, area. Yes, and I don't know—is it a minimum security or maximum? I mean, it's like a mid-level security state jail or prison that's in Miami County. But we were in the gas station, and a guy had escaped and was was inside of there trying to cash a bad check when they came in and rearrested him to take Whoa. him back. Yeah. That's quite the scene. I'm like, we're just here to go to the game. Yeah, that's, um, that's what I wanted to do the to Big East, by the way, after the game. How about this? I don't know that I realized this until I, I read it last night. 
Georgetown, and you feel for Patrick Ewing, I, Georgetown has lost 28 straight conference games. Yeah, another team Notre Dame needs a schedule. 28 straight conference games. I watched them the other night. They almost they hung in there with Villanova on the road the other night. I thought they were going to finally get it. Yeah, they are, as we said, they are the Big East free space game. I mean, that is unbelievable. Georgetown, of all teams. And, and Kevin, I think that one of the things that becomes a challenge for teams that, that's very easy for us to forget, we think that like Georgetown, you think like, oh, well, they just need to make a coaching change and Georgetown will be right back. Well, will they? I mean, Georgetown hasn't had, you know, Allen Iverson left there 30 years ago. You know, I mean, Alonzo Mourning was playing there and and signed to play there 34 years ago. They did have some good teams. Today's 16-year-old kid has no idea who that is. They did have some good teams under John Thompson, the the second. The yeah, Jeff they went Green, to the Final the Roy, Four, right? The, the Roy Hibbert teams, yeah, went to the Final Four. But again, that was 15 years ago. Right. And again, inevitably, years. Jake, you're going to have some teams that just are bottom feeders in a, right. in a conference. That's just how it is. So rough nights for Butler and Notre Dame. Tomorrow night, we'll get back into the Big Ten slate here locally. Indiana at Illinois, Purdue at Minnesota. So like we had, I think it was two Thursdays ago, a couple of road games for Mike Woodson and Matt Painter. As we mentioned tonight, the Pacers take on the Thunder. That is in Oklahoma City. Jake, I, I don't know how you feel about the Western Conference, but oftentimes I just you kind of have a stereotype on a Western Conference team and you just assume that season has unfolded, how the stereotype is. Right. The Thunder have debunked said stereotype. They are a half game out of the play-in. They have won five. I think it's five of six. The only loss was by one point to the Heat. Um, so they have played pretty good basketball this season. The Pacers are a four-point underdog in this one, again, it's a four-game road trip. Denver and Phoenix to round it out this weekend. So the Thunder, again, three straight wins, five of six. Boy, this just seems like a stretch for Indiana where you could look up and it's February 1, Tyrese Halliburton still hasn't played, and they've lost you know, 9 of 12. It's a long year, and you're going to have those stretches. And yeah, this this might be kind of the... This may be the headgear and pimple years of the Pacers' growth. Does that make sense? Lee Corso headgear is where I went first, but you went Brace's headgear. <laughs> um, correct. The awkward teenage years where... Mm-hmm. Yeah, two years for Brace's for me. Oof. It's a tough run. Do you have any photos of middle school where you're like, oh my gosh. Like, oh, I, sure. Yeah. Like I have pictures where I was... 6'1 yeah. and 105 pounds. I'm like, how was I not stuffed in a locker on a daily basis? Were you? N- not daily. <laughs> Mark, were you? Never. No. Uh, tonight we have something that will happen in the Pacers-Thunder game that has not happened in a single NBA game all year. Care to guess on what that is? Involving <laughs> both teams' rosters, if that helps you out at all. Something that has not happened all year for the Pacers or just in general in the league? In an NBA game. Now, I think, hold on. Does the Pacers roster, is there something on the Pacers roster that is somewhat of an anomaly? Uh, Yeah, I think so. I think it was something we talked about probably right after the draft. Hmm, right after that. All right, I'm going to wave. Give me a hint, or should I just wave the way? Nobody under the age of 25 will start the game. Although Buddy Heald's probably going to start. 
the most Canadians you'll have in a game really? all season long. The Pacers, with three of them, of course. Uh, Benedict Matherin, Andrew Nemhard, and O'Shea Brissett. And if you look at Oklahoma City, I mean, probably they're two best players, I guess. Lou Dort, Shea Gildress, Alexander. So, yeah, six Canadians on the floor tonight. And prominent Canadians. Will they play O Canada one. at the beginning? Now, they do that for every Raptors game. Do they do that home or away or every... That's a... I don't... I think they do do it home and away. Do you know that the inside Gamebridge Fieldhouse, there are three flags hanging up high. There's the American flag, the Canadian flag, and the Mexican flag. Do you know that the Mexican flag was really difficult for them to get because to get a Mexican flag in that size, the emblem for Mexico... The, they couldn't find one the correct size, and the only company that could make the emblem made it actually inverted, and the consulate for Mexico pointed it out, and they had to bring it back down and then reorder it. It took like six months for them to get a flag of that size put back up. There's wow. your Gamebridge Fieldhouse trivia for you. That seems awkward. And I'm not sure why, to be honest... I'm trying to think of what the connection would be where the Mexican flag was necessitated inside Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Yeah. Is that an NBA thing? No, there was... Was there a... It may be that... Is there a G League team that played some games in Mexico and therefore was also playing games in Gamebridge? Something along those lines. The Mad Ants had a trip down to Cancun yeah, for a I, week? I can't remember what it was, but there was... I asked because I'm like, well, I understand Canada because of Toronto... Um, the same at, at the if you go to the Indiana Farmers Coliseum, if that would if that's what it is, the Coliseum at the fairgrounds, they have also the Canadian flag, and that's for hockey purposes. There's one team that plays in that league with the fuel, I believe, that's out of Canada. Tomorrow we got the Paris game, Bulls and Pistons, three o'clock from. Paris. Uh, Colts news from yesterday. A, I would say the most accomplished coaching candidate, not named Sean Payton, is on the Colts interview request list, and that would be Dan Quinn, the defensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys. Obviously, when you hear the name Dan Quinn, I think most people immediately go to the Super Bowl and the Falcons blowing that to the Patriots. Um, interviewing with Denver late in the week, and then the Colts hope to get him in for an interview again. Dallas and San Francisco coming up Sunday evening. And now, Ben Johnson that pulled his name out of the interest list around the league. Uh, that is the Lions offensive coordinator. Um, you know, I mentioned Brad Stevens vibes. I guess this is a bit of a Brad Stevens move in that you're kind of betting on yourself and you feel like there will be bigger opportunities at some point for you, but uh, he is returning to the Detroit Lions. Uh, you think that's any indicator of the types of openings out there, the quarterback class, I guess, in 2023, or is this just a young guy that feels pretty good and has only been a coordinator for a year and yeah, I think knows the these chances will be there for him? You know, I, I think that... I think it's a wise move, actually, because... There's probably a familiar... Betting on Jared Goff again? Well, Jared Goff is not a terrible player. I mean, you know, he was the number one player taken in the draft that went to the Super Bowl. I mean, so it's not like he's totally incompetent. 
I feel like any time you start off with he's not a terrible player, that's not going to be the <laughs> most ringing endorsement to follow. By the way, uh, there was a... She wasn't ugly. There was a team based in Mexico in the G League when the Mad Ants began hosting games at Gamebridge. That's why there's a Mexican flag. Thank you, Dean, for pointing that out. Um, I think Jared Goff is an underrated or underappreciated player. In other words, because he was... I go back to, Kevin, I've always said this. Oftentimes, players are unfairly judged based on how or when they were acquired. And in Jared Goff's case, because he was the number one overall pick in the draft and had early success and the Rams went to the Super Bowl, it was thought that that meant that he was a franchise-changing, build-around quarterback. If Jared Goff had his exact same career that he has right now and he had been the 28th player taken in the draft, people would be like, he's really good. But because he was number one overall, people were like ah, he's t-, you know he's he's a disappointment for Detroit. Detroit, I mean that's a coup. Detroit got a guy in Jared Goff who's a really good, competent quarterback, and they got pieces with it in the Matthew Stafford deal. I mean look at look at this year. I mean the trade ended up being probably a win win, right? Because the Rams got their their ring and the Lions have pieces, but. I just think that this is a young guy as an offensive coordinator that thought, you know what, I had a good time last year with a quarterback and a tight end that kind of were rejuvenated under me, and we are just, the elevator is just starting to go up. So let's just see where it goes. Yeah, Jared Goff, a good time, certainly off the field. Yeah. <laughs> you look at the uh, Colts list, 11 <laughs> candidates. If and, you know, you know, right? In total, uh, that includes Jeff Saturday. Whoa! Uh, six defensive side of the ball, three offensive left with Ben Johnson again pulling his name out. Bubba Ventrone would be the special teams coordinator. Um, and again, as I said, I expect a quiet week on the interview front. We're two days into it. There haven't been any interviews. Um, and to be expected with the new candidates entering the mix, these guys playing or coaching, I should say, in divisional round games coming up this weekend. So tight schedule. And the Colts have added a name there in Dan Quinn. We'll get more into that throughout the show. For those that missed it yesterday, I know we played it pretty late. Uh, we're going to replay the Chuck Pagano interview we had to round out the show. I thought Chuck was really good. I thought he was candid. Really I thought good. he kind of took us behind the scenes a bit and how the head coaching search or how the head coaching process operates. And, you know, really, Jake, I also think a lot has changed since Chuck Pagano did it a decade ago in the sense of, I think it's a little bit more of a patient process. And you almost forget how crazy that 72-hour period was for Chuck, thinking, I'm a first-time coordinator for the Ravens. I think that we're about to go to the Super Bowl. And then all of a sudden, they miss a field goal. Lee Evans has a near touchdown to go to the Super Bowl. It's ruled incomplete. Jim Irsay, Ryan Grixon are calling him say, hey, we really like you, blah, blah, blah. And he's hired 48 hours later. Um, just a whirlwind process, um, and Chuck also has an opinion on who he thinks Jim Irsay likes in this head coaching search. So we will play that interview coming up here just about 10 minutes from now. Again, it happened at the end of the show yesterday, so I wanted to give you a chance to hear it again this morning. Uh, Dustin, now it's Dopirak, right? Correct. Dustin yes. Dopirak going to join us one hour from now. <laughs> Immediately butchered it again. What's that? You asked for the, the how you say it, and then you immediately went back Dustin to your... Dustin Dopirak, right? Yes. That's what I said. Dustin Dopirak, 
right? Depirac, I think. Uh, yeah. Dustin D. going to join us <laughs> coming up in just over an hour. We're also going to talk a little New York Giants football because they have... Um, yeah, Mike Kafka, Mike right. Martindale. A couple Wink. of guys the Colts are interested in, right? Yeah, so we'll get into that again. Last week we chatted with uh, Dave Burkett about the Lions candidates, so two from the New York Giants as they get ready for Saturday night with Philly. Again, the one seeds play Saturday. That will be Kansas City hosting Jacksonville, Philly hosting the Giants, and then uh, Sunday, probably the two marquee games, Bills hosting the Bengals, and then a classic with the 49ers and the Cowboys. Good Wednesday morning to you again. Kevin Bowen, Jake Quarry, Mark Dykton. Kevin Aquarius right here at 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Hey, how about those cards? Chirp, chirp, let's begin with that. Last night, 71-70 over Western Michigan at Worthen Arena. Ball State is now 8-0 at home. Jerron Coleman had 22. Peyton Sparks had 14 as the cards. Now 13-5 overall and 4-1 and in the max. So that's a good win anytime. I realize Western Michigan 6-12 and overall. But anytime you get a hard-fought win like that, uh, a couple of questionable calls. I probably shouldn't mention that. Uh, for Ball State, good win for Michael Lewis's group. It was Creighton 73-52 over Butler at Hinkle Fieldhouse. Creighton now just 1-4 and four on the road. Andrew Demhard's little brother, Ryan, 12 points, 11 boards in that game. Elsewhere around the state, Valpo over Illinois, Chicago, Southern Illinois over Evansville. And uh, Kevin, mute your... Uh, headsets. Yeah, can we just move on? Florida State 84-71 over Notre Dame. Kind of reached that point as a fan where you're like, is that probably a good thing to send a message to the athletic department that a change is needed? Uh, tonight in Oklahoma City, Pacers and Thunder, four-point underdog in that one. Again, don't get the impression that the Thunder are just outright tanking and the worst team in the NBA. They're 21-23. and 23. They've won three straight. All of those were on the road. They've won five of six. Obviously, Tyrese Halliburton uh, still on the men for Indiana. This is game two of a four-game road trip. Jake, if you look at the rest of the month, you've got these three on the road. Then you have the Bulls and the Magic. And to close out January, you have rematches with Milwaukee and Memphis. There's probably a good chance you're an underdog in like six of those seven. Almost all of them, yeah. So obviously a very critical juncture of the Pacers season as the NBA trade deadline is three weeks from tomorrow. Uh, High school basketball, by the way, I hope I'm saying this last name correctly. I hope I am. Uh, Would it be Dowdy? D-O-U-G-H-T-Y? Big Zane? Zane Dowdy. Mm -hmm. All-time rebound leader at Ben Davis High School. I believe that was set yesterday. He looks like he's like 28 years old. Like, I mean, I mean that in a good way. Like that kid's. That's built. pretty good at a program like that. No doubt. I mean, a school that big with that kind of history, uh, that is impressive. The big kid from Ben Davis who played basketball over at Ohio State was it Dewan Jones? I think he declared for the NFL draft. I'm not 100 percent sure on that. I probably should know it before I say it. Uh, but yeah, that is very impressive. Ben Davis got a hell of a team this year atop the 4A standings. Again, on the Colts front, Dan Quinn has entered the head coaching interest list for Indianapolis. Ben Johnson, I think a name a lot of people were intrigued by, the OC from Detroit. He is returning to the Lions. He had interest elsewhere, not just Indianapolis. Um, so he is the first name I think we've seen kind of officially Uh, remove themselves from consideration. Of course, Dan Quinn with Atlanta. There are some connections there within the Colts personnel department with Ed Dodds, Chris Boward's right-hand man. Ballard was very fond of what Dan Quinn built defensively early 
in those Atlanta years. You kind of forget, Jake, there was a stretch there. I guess it would have been, what, like 2013 to 16, where Dan Quinn had defenses in the Super Bowl three out of four years. The two in Seattle, and then Atlanta, of course, going early in his tenure. Not the same sort of defensive success the rest of the way in Atlanta. Dallas is getting back to that uh, with a pretty good unit. Um, but hey, that is certainly what he's Dan known Quinn for. Dan Quinn and Matt Ryan, man. Get the band back together, right? Yeah, then. Let's go. That'll make people drive off the road here early on this Wednesday morning. Uh, we come back. Chuck Pagano he joined us late in the show yesterday. So I know a lot of people were not able to catch that. Uh, really enjoyable interview we had with Chuck. Just the whole head coaching process. His thoughts on a potential favorite in the eyes of Jim Irsay. Uh, and asked him about the Jim Mercer we've seen over the past year. There's been some meddling from the owner. Did Chuck ever experience that in his time here in Indianapolis? We'll chat all about that with Chuck Pagano next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hey, good morning to you. 24 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock. Jake Quarry along with Kevin Bowen and Mark Dykton on this Wednesday. Yesterday, at the end of the show... We got a hold of former Colts head coach Chuck Pagano to kind of talk to him about just the overall process that would be taking place for the Colts and for coaches as they tried to basically come up with a match on who will be the next man to be the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. And I began by asking Chuck Pagano just exactly what does the process look like in terms of the questions that are asked and the conversations that flow during the acquaintance, is that the right word? Getting acquainted with one another process. I think what people are doing now may be a little bit different uh, than my situation. Mine was so late. You know, we had just played in the AFC championship, lost to, you know, uh, the Patriots and then went in. But I think now this first initial, initial round is kind of a get to know type of deal where just what's what's this guy's personality what's in his dna um maybe share you know the organization share their vision a little bit and what they're looking for and then mostly you know get some background on the individual some personal stuff what his philosophy is um how he sees a, a team being you know made up some of those things so i think it's more of you know, a lot of, of, of get-to-know stuff. Some teams may go a little bit more in-depth on this initial one, but I think what you're trying to do is, like, when you look at the Colts, they've obviously cast, to use a cliche, right, cast a wide net and had a, a bunch of people in this first week. Most of it, you know, per the rules, is virtual. So they're just trying to, to maybe maybe eliminate, you know, some of those names, you know, get some guys on, and maybe it's just not a fit. But I think it's... It's mostly, you know, is this guy, you know, the leader of men that we heard this guy was? What kind of feel do we have? What's his personality like? Does it look like it'll be a, a fit, you know, with our with our uh, general manager? Does it look like these two uh, can work uh, side by side in a collaborative effort to make this thing work? And then maybe down the road, guys, it's it's you get into more of the the philosophical stuff of you know how do you 
How do you see the roster being built? Um, where do you see our team? Can you give us an evaluation of our team, offense, defense, the specialists that you have on the on the team currently? Where do you see the holes uh, in this team? Um, offense, defense, uh, special team. What what's the identity of this team going to? What's it going to look like? What's it going to feel like? Can you kind of paint us a picture as, as far as that goes? So um, I think those things, you probably get a little bit more in depth. The analytics, as you guys know, pay, you know play a huge role now um, with some more than others, so to speak. So they might dive into, you know, where are you with, with analytics? You know, the job that you're at, how, how did that look like in, in your building? How many people were there? How much do you rely on that? How much do you depend on that? Are you going to call plays? You know, because a big deal with a lot of these guys now, especially the offensive guys, the young offensive quarterback guy, quarterback whisperer, so to speak, you know, they want to call the plays and then how you're going to manage the game. What's that going to look like? We saw the situation in Denver this year with Nathaniel Hackett and having to go out and hire a Jerry Rosberg uh, two weeks into the season to help him with, with game management. So I think those are, those are some, of the, some of the things that uh, are obviously going to be discussed. I can't recall, Coach, and I apologize for this. I was trying to think back on this. When you were hired as the head coach of the Colts and Ryan Grigson was hired as the general manager, it was within like a three-week period between the two. So my assumption was that your hire was by Jim Mersey and not necessarily by Ryan Grigson. But the reason I ask that is because we know that Chris Ballard will make a recommendation, but by his own admission, it is Jim Mersey that will be making the hire. Is there a danger in that of getting a coach that is not 100% on par with the general manager? Uh, you know, always. You know, I think that's the, the first thing that they're going to look for. When I came in there, Ryan was there. He was already hired. Ryan, I think, probably with Jim's blessing, um, Ryan gave me that opportunity. And for that, I'm forever grateful. I think that was that was Ryan's. They they had. I think I was. I don't know what number uh, that I was on that list, but I know I was almost dead last as far as guys coming in just because of the time. Like I mentioned earlier, uh, when that thing went down after the AFC Championship game, it wasn't you know two days later that I was in the building at West Fifty Six visiting. You know, Jim was in there. We talked for about an hour. Uh, then Jim, you know, Jim left, and then I had a discussion with with Ryan and 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 Pete Ward uh, was in there, and and some other constituents, uh, guys that have a seat at the table, decision makers. Uh, they're just trying to get as many people in there to get a feel for for you as as a as a person, as a human being, um, and really trying to see, okay, is this marriage uh, going to work? Can these guys work side by side? Jim always talked about the three pillars, you know, the owner, the general manager, and the head coach, and and those three pillars working uh, collaboratively, side-by-side, in concert, singing out of the uh, same hymnal, all the things that you want to use to describe that relationship. But if that relationship, again, that's got to be, um, you know, very, 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 very important. And I think a lot of the things, because I didn't know, I had no idea really, it was my first time interviewing for a head coaching job, just coming off that game, preparation was minimal. So really didn't have an idea of really the right, you know, questions to ask where I think these guys are more prepared now. They have agents, they have, you know, they, I think they have a, a better heads up of, 
what's coming down the pike and what to ask. Like, okay, who's who's picking the players? You know, when it comes down to the draft, what what's that going to look like? Who's going to decide the fifty three? You know, once we get to the regular season, who's going to decide uh, inactives? Who's going to be up on game day? But the most important thing to me is is that relationship between uh, the GM and and the head coach. And and we've seen you know we've seen some um, you know this year. I mean, just look at you know the Giants and and what happened there with with Brian and, and the GM there. So very very important. And he's Chuck Pagano, and he is with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Six years as Colts head coach, 53 and 43 in his time here. Chuck, I, I want to stay there for just a second. Like, your emotions leading into that AFC Championship game. I mean, that was a crazy game. I mean, you guys had a golden opportunity, not to bring up a bad memory, you had a golden opportunity certainly to win that game. And then, can you walk me through maybe like that Saturday, Sunday, Monday of thinking Super Bowl, Super Bowl, Super Bowl, you guys lose in excruciating fashion, and then boom, you're scrambling for this interview. And if I'm not mistaken, like, you know, you had to kind of convince Bruce Arians to be your OC, bring him out of retirement. It's not like you had this locked-in plan necessarily going into the interview. No, it was definitely fly by the seat of your pants, Kevin. I mean, it was it was wild. Like you said, you go up there, um, we've got the ball late in that game. We're down 3, 23-20. Uh, Flacco's taking us down the field, throws what we all thought was a touchdown catch to Lee Evans. If you remember in the corner of the end zone sure. there, and a DB knocked it out right at the uh, same time and called in from incomplete, missed a, a chip shot field goal to go to overtime and and then get home in the late game, get home early early that, that next morning, go in the office. John calls me in, said the cold stock called, they want to talk to you. And I'm like, about what? To your point, I had no idea. They even still had a job open because all of us were so immersed in, in the AFC Championship game, the game itself, preparation, all that stuff. So I had really no idea. And then the next thing you know, you're on the phone. You know, I'm on the phone talking to Ryan, uh, set up an interview, send, you know, hey, I need some time uh, to get some things together, get some thoughts together. And it was like, don't worry about it. Just let's come up. Let's chat. Let's get to know each other. You know, Jim wants to meet, whatever. So, you know, send the plane down, get on the plane. Next thing you know, I'm in the building and, and then the rest is, the rest is history. I mean, it was, it was, it was wild. Dude, do, do coaches go through, Chuck Pagano is our guest on the Payless Zuckers Hotline. Are there coaches that go through the process kind of to avoid not, I'm not going to say avoid that situation coach but to be prepared for it for the future so in other words is it possible there are coaches that the the Colts are going to talk to that are just kind of familiarizing your, themselves with the process for the future but not necessarily ready to make the move right now um you know that's a great question uh, maybe so because um, I, I think it's more, you know, both sides getting to know each other and see if that's the fit for them and, and see what the situation is like. Again, there's only 32 of them, right? And so all these guys, if, if given the opportunity, I find it really hard to believe unless unless they just walk into something and just have this bad, bad feeling that this is not going to work. This is not for me. The situation isn't right. Uh, the circumstances aren't right. The roster is not right. You only get one shot at this. Yeah, I know that um, I, can, I can jump on this now, but as we're seeing, you're not given a lot of time anymore. There's not a whole lot of patience. 
when it comes to comes to these jobs and 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 the owners, you know, everybody's you know want wants to win and wants to win now. It's kind of the Burger King mindset. You know, I want it my way, and I, I want it. I want it now. And and if that and if that doesn't happen, we're seeing unfortunately, you know, more one and dones than we've ever seen. And you guys know better than anybody that it that it takes time, uh, especially uh, depending on where you're at uh, as a football team, where your roster's at. Uh, do you have a, a, a quarterback in place? Uh, that can that can lead your uh, team to a division championship. We all know winning your division is the easiest way to get in the tournament, and then anything can happen from there. So I think there's a, a feeling out process, but I think also, given the fact, like we talked about, there's only 32 uh, of these jobs, and I, I, you know, it'd be hard. I'd be hard pressed to think that if you know that thing was offered, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to leave. I just gotten, you know, my dream job in Baltimore as the defensive coordinator there. We had a great team. We had a great team coming back. Shoot, they won the Super Bowl. We played them, obviously, in the wild card round loss. They went on to win a Super Bowl. So I knew what we had there. But Tina was Tina was like, I can't even repeat what she told me. You know, when I told her we were thinking of, you know, that maybe this wasn't for me. You know, this wasn't our time. Maybe we had more work to do here. And she obviously didn't want that to happen. So... <laughs> called Jim back and said, yeah, we're coming. <laughs> but anyway, it was funny. Was it hard, Coach? And I get it, right? I mean, listen, like, are you crazy, Chuck? Like, here's an opportunity, right? So you take it. Is it hard when you were a coordinator and you had a coordinator mindset and then all of a sudden now you're in charge of all sides of the football and special teams and everything else? Was it hard to wean yourself off of prioritizing that one side of the ball and realizing that you now are in charge of multiple facets? Yeah, so Kevin mentioned it, I think, it earlier about Bruce Arians and putting the staff together and not having you know any idea um, of what that was going to look like from a staff standpoint. So I was very, very fortunate. You know, once once accepted that job and the dust settled, you get done with all the press conferences and interviews and those kind of things, and you start to go to work on, on putting your staff together. Um, and I was, again, very fortunate that Bruce was, was on the street. He was in the middle of uh, what he thought maybe was retirement, driving back and forth with truckloads of stuff to Georgia, to his place down there, him and Chris. Got him on the phone and, and was fortunate enough to get him in there and, and offer a job, and he, he accepted and, uh, so that that side, I didn't have to worry about um, being a defensive-minded coach and, and spending my whole uh, coaching career as an assistant on that side of the ball. And so then, you know, get a guy, Greg Minuski, somebody that, you know, I was very familiar with, my brother had worked with, same philosophy, same kind of system uh, that I was coming from, from the Ravens. So that kind of that kind of mirrored up there and um, – and I didn't want to. I didn't want to, with all the responsibilities. And then you never know uh, what that entails until you actually sit in that chair. I remember sitting there as soon as everything was done. I'm sitting in Coach Caldwell's old office, and I'm going through all the drawers looking for the head coaching manual that he hopefully left behind. <laughs> like presidents, <laughs> you know, they leave a little like, letter for you. Yeah, yeah. got to be in here somewhere. <laughs> That's right. What's 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 next? What do we what do we do next? What do we just get ourselves into? And it's just mind-boggling the things that, that come across your desk that have like zero to do with X's and O's. 
So I was, I was again, very fortunate uh, to get Bruce uh, to lead that, that side of uh, the football and, and obviously a rookie quarterback and Andrew coming in and um, his success uh, in that regard with that position in the offensive side and then, and they're getting uh, getting Minuski and and then everything kind of else kind of fell into place. But yeah, there's 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 so there's so much to it that you know it's my belief that whoever you get, I mean, they guys don't want to give up the play calling stuff, but they're going to figure out that there's so much there uh, to handle. Let alone just game day handling. And Lord knows I made my fair share of mistakes, but and that's a work in progress. But just managing uh, those sixty minutes of, of football. Uh, without having to try to call one side of the ball or the other. Chuck, I know your relationship, and again, Chuck Pagano is with us here on the Pale Sickers Hotline. I know your, your relationship with Jim Mersey means a whole lot off the field and obviously is something that we still see play out today. We had you on before your gala back in the fall. Um, you know, a big question I think that people have about this head coach opening is they felt like Jim Mersey meddled in some pretty serious um, decision-making moments for this franchise over the last 12 months. Uh, when you were here for six years, did you ever get the feeling or sense or see that Jim Mersey was meddling or not allowing Ryan and you to do the jobs you were hired to do? Never. Never. I mean, we had discussions. Look, Jim's been around this his entire life, so he, he knows uh, what it's supposed to look like. He knows how it's supposed to be set up. So those experiences and that wisdom, again, there was a tons, of, tons and tons of conversations about everything uh, involving uh, the team and, and really what, what gave us the best chance to win and what was best for the organization. But not, not one time did he ever uh, tell me or Ryan, this is what we're going to do, this is what you have to do. He just set the expectations and then said, okay, these are the expectations, and I'm, you know, let us do our job. And so it's a, it's a bottom line business, as we all know. And when you win and you have success, you get to stick around. And, and when you don't, uh, they move on. So, again, Jim is very, very passionate. We know that. He hates losing more than he loves winning. We all know that. And so he's going to share uh, with whoever what, what his vision is, what his expectations are. But then he's going to allow you to do your job. And then it's up to you. It's up to the, the general manager, uh, the staff that you put together, uh, making making that whole thing work. Final forty five seconds, Coach. And I know you have relationships, presumably, probably with a lot of these guys. Just in your heart, or, or just deep down, the guy that you think ultimately the Colts are going to zero in on is who? <laughs> that's a that's a, a great question, and, and one that I wish I had uh, an answer for, but. Um, conventional wisdom would say, I mean, we all know obviously how much Jim uh, loves Jeff. And, you know, so obviously uh, I would say that, that just knowing that relationship that, that Jeff probably is the front runner uh, right now, but there's so many uh, quality uh, candidates, you know, you think about the enemy and the success that he had that, uh, Evro, the DC. I, I'm just looking at the names that they've already talked to. Aaron Glenn, Ben John, the offensive guys. Uh, you know, Bianami Johnson, Steichen, uh, Kafka. Now with the Giants, the job that he's done there. Brian Dayball and uh, Danny Dimes. When they you know, when they pick the it, coach, we're going to have you back on when they pick it. How's that? Right <laughs> to to give you breakdowns. Yeah. That work? Yeah. 
you guys are going to love Wink Martindale's interview too. Hopefully, he get you get in front of him. Again, that was Chuck Pagano yesterday. We we're kind of up against it there at the end of that. Uh, Wink Martindale, one of those names that's kind of been a a late arriver, if you will, Kevin, in terms of names that are being mentioned. But I thought really good insight overall it's from Chuck. Kind Pagano. of a Bruce Arians resume for Wink Martindale, and he kind of reminds me of Bruce. And Chuck said that there uh, to close out the interview. I do think there's an aspect to hiring Jeff Saturday that if it happens, Jake, I am extremely fascinated by. Don't necessarily agree, but fascinated by. We'll explain more coming up in the 8 o'clock hour. We'll get into the Pacers conversation and take a look at Wink Martindale and Mike Kafka, the two Giants candidates. Uh, They've entered the mix here this week. We'll do that coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. Kevin Aquari on a Wednesday. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Dustin Dopirak joins us 30 minutes from now. Thanks again to Chuck Pagano for his time yesterday. 8 o'clock hour underway on a Wednesday. How are you? Jake Quarry along with Kevin Bowen and Mark Dighton here on The Circle. Kevin... In looking at the Colts and in, and in listening to Chuck Pagano there towards the end, I thought it was interesting when he said, you know, listen, the the incumbent is always the favorite, so to speak. Um, I don't know if that means that Jeff Saturday is per se the favorite to land the head coaching position for the Colts, but one would assume, maybe assume is the wrong word, but it would seem as though it would be wise to go with somebody that has an offensive mindset. I think what we forget, Kevin, is not only are the Colts going to be looking for a head coach, but obviously then, you know, probably an offensive coordinator as well, right? So a couple of areas to go with that. Yeah, and, you know, there's an aspect to Saturday and that hire that, again, fascinated by, not, I wouldn't agree with the hire, but the fascination to me is like, what the hell is his coaching staff going to look like? You know, when you see a a name like Dan Quinn, Raheem Morris, you know, D'Amico Ryans, whoever, you inevitably kind of go to their coaching tree and just kind of pull out, okay, uh, that guy has a connection there, that guy has a connection there. You can kind of see, you know, Kyle Shanahan tree, Sean McVay tree, et cetera. With Saturday, like, is Dan Orlovsky his offensive coordinator? Right. I mean, fair, right? And I say that in all seriousness. Um Jake, will Pate Manning have any involvement if Jeff Saturday is here? Surely not. I thought you brought. I, I, got, uh, I got to thinking about this. I was. Gonna say, I thought you brought up a pretty good point about Peyton yesterday. And if you don't mind, this is after the show, but don't mind uh, or please uh, share that. If you look at let let's analyze or take a look at Jeff Saturday in October. Jeff Saturday in October was a beloved Colts figure who was in the Ring of Honor, who was, you know, the 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 underdog feel good story, and everybody in Indianapolis loved Jeff Saturday. Hey, he's on billboards all over. Correct, Bailey and Wood, right? Spokesperson for a company. I mean, just a great guy in general. I, his, you know, whatever's happened in the last couple of months doesn't take away from the fact yeah, great that he dude. is a great dude. But great, yesterday we great took, bro is probably how he would like to be referred. That's right. You know, 
Yesterday, we took two different phone calls from people saying, if they hire Jeff Saturday, I'm done. Now, we both know people aren't ever going to be done, right? That's that's fun to say. But, but his legacy in Indianapolis, I'm not going to say is tainted, but the mindset or the thought process of which he is viewed now is multi-layered. Peyton Manning is arguably the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. But I think I've told the story. I mean, I won't tell the whole story, but but when I worked at Channel 6 and they retired his jersey number at the University of Tennessee, I went down with the aforementioned Otis Jones to cover it. And Vernon Cheek, who was working in media relations for the Colts at the time, came up to me in the locker room the next week and said, hey, Peyton mentioned that um, you were down in Knoxville for his jersey retirement. And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, he wants to know if, if he can get the the footage of that, uh, of the, the coverage of that. He'd like to have a copy of it. And I thought, we get calls a lot of times from people whose kids were on Friday Night Football that, that they want video mm-hmm. of that. But yeah. Peyton Manning, so Peyton Manning and the, the perception of Peyton Manning is extremely important to Peyton Manning. The, the love affair that Peyton Manning has, Peyton Manning, I think, is still hurt by the fact that the Indianapolis Colts moved on from Peyton Manning, but he will always hold on to the fact that the Indianapolis Colts fans have not. And the reason why, in my opinion, Peyton Manning will never come back in an official working capacity for the Indianapolis Colts is exactly because of what you have seen in terms of how it impacts the perception of a player that we've seen with Jeff Saturday. Yeah, I think it's a great point. I think it's honestly, Jake, a reason why he hasn't done the Manning cast <laughs> with Colts games. I know that's not the same thing as you know being the interim head coach for a couple months, but uh, Peyton, I'd say it's an understatement how much he worries and is in tune with perception of how he's viewed, especially in this market. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I am so curious what a coaching staff would look like for Jeff Saturday. I see Tall here, you know, kind of points out how important that offensive coordinator hire would be. Certainly, but I mean, defensive coordinator is Jeff Saturday. I mean, would he retain Gus Bradley? Would Gus Bradley want to do that? Is there, you know, more of a dungy like coaching tree that he'd want to tap into on the defensive side of the ball? Be just super curious what that would look like. I know this is kind of stating the obvious, but I th- I don't know how you guys felt, but watching the wild card games this weekend, I was reminded of how important coaching is. And I know that sounds very elementary, but look at what San Francisco has gotten from a third string rookie seventh round pick in Brock Purdy. Yeah. Look at what Miami did with a third string seventh round rookie and competing for the entire 60 minutes in that game. Look at what Baltimore did with their backup quarterback. Very easily could have won that game. And then you can look at it from the flip. Those are kind of the positive aspects of, wow, getting a you know, very inexperienced quarterback, particularly in the Purdy case, particularly in the Skylar Thompson case. But you look at the time management late in those games by Miami, by Baltimore. We're going to talk more about the New York Giants and their candidates coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. I would argue the Giants have had the greatest turnaround of any team this season and for me it has almost everything to do with coaching 
It's not like the Giants went out and made these massive personnel changes. All of a sudden, Daniel Jones is like more than competent at quarterback. And again, rattle off their wide receivers and tight ends. They're a bunch of nobodies. So it's probably obvious. I'm probably just stating it, but coaching really, really matters. You know what else stuck out to me watching playoff games? Look at the point totals the team scored. 41, 31, 34, 31, 24, 31. What are the Colts average all season? 17 points a game. Yeah, it's a great point. I, I think great that point. when you look, if you were to look at the teams that are still alive, you know, Patrick Mahomes drafted, sits for a year, then goes in, obviously has success fairly early. No, starting from day one. Josh Allen. Drafted, a lot of question marks about him. Once the 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 switch was flipped, it was flipped for sure. But you had to kind of wait a little bit. Trevor Lawrence, a year of struggling, had to stand by him, build some pieces, go out, and get you know probably overpay for a receiver that turned out to be a a great sign for them, and now it, it's come together for them. Joe Burrow, you know, pretty great player right out of the box. But you look at the situations of the teams that are competing right now and what you see, and to your point, a couple of teams that have quarterbacks that were not thought to be in this situation, but they had great rosters built around them. The Colts really don't have either. I think they have a good roster. I don't Clearly, they don't have a great roster, and they don't have a roster that can carry subpar quarterback play because they just went 4-12 and 1 with that. But whoever they draft now because they assuming that they are that this is the year whether it's Bryce Young, whether it's CJ Stroud, whether it's Will Levis, who I believe it's going to be personally. You think it'll be Levis? I do. But whoever it's going to be, That'd be the second comment you've made that have people driving off 465 <laughs> this morning. Whoever it is going to be, you give yourself more time. You can eject from Matt Ryan after a year because you go, you know what, this isn't going to work. You can eject from Carson Wentz after a year. You know, this isn't going to work. Phillip Rivers obviously retired. When you draft a quarterback, you have to give yourself at least a two-year window because there are there's precedent of what I just mentioned of patience being a virtue. Well, Peyton so, Manning and Trevor Lawrence. Correct. So people that think like, oh, they're going to draft a quarterback and next year they're right back in the playoffs. I, I think there are people that... I think Jeff Saturday feels like this team can be in the playoffs next year. But they are they are basically asking for a another two year grace period under the Chris Ballard administration and it is a it is closer to a rebuild than a retool. Yeah, the only reason why I wouldn't just outright laugh at the comment of Jeff Saturday thinking the Colts can be in the playoffs next year is because they play in a division that is the AFC South. And certainly you think Jacksonville is going to be a little bit more of a mainstay here, but you have no confidence in Tennessee, I think in Houston necessarily, uh, being a major, major threat next year. Um, Do you guys think we're done with coaching openings? It almost seems like with what the Chargers did yesterday, that was their scapegoat. Correct. In firing offense coordinator Joe Lombardi, retaining Brandon Staley. Todd Bowles were now what? You know, 36 hours removed from it, nothing there. I don't know, maybe something later in the week. If Dallas got their doors blown off in San Francisco, 
never rule out Jerry Jones, but it almost seems like the five openings are the five openings. That's Cardinals, a, Broncos, Panthers, Colts, and barring Texas. Barring like a Pete Carroll retirement or something like that, I don't. I, you might be right. I and that's that always an off-season discussion, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, we saw yesterday Frank Reich interview in Arizona for their head coaching gig. I believe Carolina has been the other interview for Frank Reich. If you were Frank Reich, Jake, would you look at Carolina or Arizona, or would you look at, let's go be Justin Herbert's offense coordinator for a year, the thought is the Chargers take a step forward, Herbert continues to grow, they have a great season, and then Reich is probably viewed as one of, if not the most coveted coaching candidates in 2024. I think Justin Herbert is viewed in league circles as one of the great young pieces, right? I, I think he has seen, honestly, when you, I, if you were to ask quote-unquote football people and by that I mean people that are drawing a paycheck from an NFL franchise to rank young quarterbacks he would be what top five yeah I mean he is very very highly thought of uh that combined with living in Los Angeles would be pretty tempting but I know that coaches that have been head coaches aspire to continue to be head coaches and of the Arizona and Carolina situations I would probably, if I'm Frank Reich, favor Arizona because they have, they ha- you at least know who the quarterback's going to be, and you've got a pretty dangerous weapon at wide receiver. And those are two things that I think coaches would covet, right? Greg goes, this list, referring to the Colts head coaching candidate list, screams Chuck Pagano 2.0. I assume what he's referencing with that is guys with little coordinator experience, no head coaching experience is all over this list. Um, And to a point, he's right. I mean, it is a lot of, if I'm not mistaken, everybody's a current coordinator right now in the NFL outside of Jeff Saturday. Um, You do have some guys that have been very young coordinators in Mike Kafka's case or even a Shane Steichen case. Um, you know, Ben Johnson pulled his name out, but you know, you have particularly on the offense side of the ball, some young coordinators there. Defensively, you have a little bit more experienced coordinators. I guess, Jake, outside of Sean Payton, and again, put Harbaugh to the side, because to me, so much of it seemed age and contract driven. Outside of Sean Payton, isn't this kind of what every team's list looks like right now? Like all five openings? Obviously, the Colts work on a higher Frank Reich again. So I almost feel like you take Sean Payton's name out of it. This is pretty much the group of names you're seeing in every single opening of the Dan Quinns, the D'Amico Ryans. Again, when Ben Johnson was involved there, obviously the Colts have a little bit of a longer list, but I'm not really seeing other names for other openings outside of Payton that look at the Colts situation and say, I don't want any part of that. Can I ask a really dumb question? By all means. Drew Brees is a phenomenal talent, or was in his prime, correct? Yeah, uh uh-huh. Yeah, first bowder. The NFC South, even though I realize they had a, a unique kind of an anomaly stretch there where they, didn't they have like a different team from their division go to the Super Bowl four straight years or something weird like that? Or they they rotated winners in the division. 
But the NFC South has had some teams that have had their doldrums. I think Sean Payton is a good coach, don't get me wrong, but are we over-inflating how good a coach he is? Probably a little bit, but... Jake- I mean, Drew Brees is a is a, a, a top 10 quarterback of all time. And, yeah, I, I get... I mean, but if you look at his coaching record, okay? Wins the division in 06, loses in the championship game, okay? But, you know... you. 2017, wins 11 games, loses in the divisional game. I, I get it. They're going to the playoffs. 2018, 13-3, loses in the, the championship game of the conference. 2019, 13-3, loses in the wild card game. 2020, 12-4, loses in the divisional game. 2021, 9-8. 2014-15-16, under 500. I, I mean... I think he's a very good coach, don't get me wrong. But like I think Is that the same argument there for Belichick? No, Belichick at least had multiple, multiple seasons of of winning super I, I get it. I but mean, Peyton had, has not been without Breeze, correct? What I'm saying correct but what I'm saying is with Breeze, I mean he won a super I'm not saying he's not good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's not probably a better I mean he's a known commodity. But I just I think that we we have a tendency to automatically fall in love with a guy, and then it's like we got to get that guy, we got to get that guy. Oh my gosh, we got to get that guy. Like I remember, uh, just for example, I mean, the, I remember the summer that Carmelo Anthony, like the New York Knicks, were like we got to get Carmelo Anthony, we got to get Carmelo, and they mortgaged their whole franchise to go get Carmelo Anthony because once you get it in your mind that you have to get a, a player or a coach, you become so hell bent on it that you almost start to over I think he's very good don't get me wrong but is he is he in fact a franchise changing coach like if Sean Payton goes to Denver all of a sudden now do the Broncos become an AFC championship contender I don't know maybe they do yeah I mean I guess what was the what was the Saints record the one year that Payton was out you know I feel like we always do that with with Belichick don't we do the Belichick the Matt Castle year right so what what was that? The Bounty Gate year? What would that have been? Boy, what year was that though? I mean, like I said, 14, 15, 16, they were seven and nine all three years. It was one of those, wasn't it? I feel like it was a little bit earlier. I, than I that. think he, he didn't coach, again, but well he was it, seven and nine in 07. He was eight and eight in, in 08. Do they list a year he didn't coach? I mean it's gotta be one of those, right? Eleven, twelve, something like that? 13? Oh, it was twelve. Yeah, twelve. Uh let me see here. What their record was, it doesn't list. The you know, I, I I think on the Peyton front, Jake, it's more of just comparing him to the candidates that you're seeing right now, in that he does have this vast amount of experience in the league. Certainly, Breeze is with him for the entire run, uh, and that is a huge, huge part. Seven and nine, also in 2012. So yeah, I think he's very good. Don't get me wrong. I just think that yeah, I'm not like the Colts need to trade the fourth overall pick for him. I'm not there by any means. But I just think that when you make a move like this, the Chuck Pagano type resumes, to Greg's point, like those are the resumes. And if you look at Carolina, you look at Arizona, you look at Denver, all of these openings, it's pretty much the same people. I don't think it's all of a sudden like. I just think they're. The, this the is best. not that if Alabama fires Nick Saban tomorrow, Alabama's going to attract these candidates, and if Alabama A&M fires their coach tomorrow, they attract these candidates. I, think I, the I, I don't greatest, think it's that. I think the greatest job in the world, the best thing ever that I could have on my LinkedIn, which is tender for business people, or my business card, if people still do that, the best thing ever to, to be in life 
would be to be a moderate, and I'm not saying Sean Payton's moderately, but a moderately successful former NFL or NBA head coach. Just throw me in that hopper every year of like, you know what? I'm I'm Doug Moe. I'm Hubie Brown. I'm Lenny Wilkins. I'm Jeff Fisher. I'm Ron Rivera. I, you know what? Bring me to town and we're going to go nine and seven, baby, every year. And you just, you just keep getting hired. You don't see a lot of those retread names, though, in this cycle. You're right. I mean, Dan Quinn? I mean, who had, I would say, decent success with the Falcons. But that's, I mean, he's kind of retread, right? I'm just saying. And, and I guess my cynicism is just how, such that I'm how like, do you man, view what, that? A, what a beautiful, like. Is Dan Quinn Gruden Dungy? Or is he Ron Rivera? Right. Is he getting a second chance and he's going to flourish? Or is this a guy that's just going to be part? Well, help Pete care. I mean, of the cycle, you know. And again, I'm not. I don't want to like carry Sean Payton's water. And maybe this would have happened anywhere. Drew Brees would have gone, but Drew Brees with the Saints was a different quarterback than Drew Brees with the Chargers. I mean, he took his level of play. Yeah, he was well. He was an older. I mean, he was only in San Diego for what a year. Oh no, he was in San Diego for longer than that. Brees. Well, one contract, maybe then three. Yeah, I mean, again, he was still early in his career, but it's not like Drew Brees was this number one overall pick. You knew he was going to turn into that. This was, you know, still an early second round pick that, um, you know, who knows? Maybe he would have had the same sort of career anywhere he went, but obviously with the Saints, um, he took off. We'll talk some Pacers coming up in a few here. Dustin Apirat going to join us, and then uh, Patricia Trena covers the Giants. In the nine o'clock hour again. I, I didn't realize that Breeze, by the way, not to cut you off, was there for five years. I didn't think he was there that long. Did yeah, because it was you know the passing of the torch there with Rivers, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously. Yeah, but then the and, and the I mean, whole drafted, shoulder injury situation and yeah, they drafted Eli, right? And then it wasn't that how it worked. Wasn't the thought like. Breeze was going to go to Miami with Saban, but correct. Miami didn't clear he him the medically. Physical, so they and went to Dante Culpepper, yeah. right? What could have been with all of that? Again, Mike Kafka, Wink Martindale, the two Giants coaches. Ben Johnson pulling out of this coaching search league-wide. I know some people really liked him. But Kafka's an offensive name, really young, uh, but is intriguing to me. So I'm looking forward to that conversation coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. Let's hit a morning check down. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Good Lord, you go through this 2001 NFL draft that Breeze was in? My God, how many people were in that draft? In a good way? They're very good. Chris Wanky, was he one of them? Give us some names, Michael Vick, LT. Yeah, Tomlinson. Richard Seymour. Uh, Let's see. Steve Hutchinson, Santana Moss, Steve Smith. Drew Brees, the first pick in the second round. Well, how about that draft for the Chargers, right? Was it LT like fifth, and then they came back and got mm-hmm. Brees? Who was the Colts selection that year? Uh, let's see, where are they at? The Indianapolis Colts selected Reggie, Reggie Wayne. Right? Yeah. yeah, Reggie Wayne, Todd Heeb. Reggie Wayne, Todd Heeb, Drew Brees went back to back to back. Who did Who did Washington take a receiver out of Clemson that year in 01? Washington, Rod Gardner. Okay, Washington had told Reggie Wayne they were taking him, hmm. and then they took Rod Gardner. Santana instead. Moss, Steve Hutchinson went right after that. Uh, morning checkdown, by the way, beginning with Ball State. You just heard him mention seventy-one seventy last night over Western Michigan. Cards now thirteen and five, 
four and one in conference. They are eight and zero oh at home, and I noticed uh, crowd shots look pretty good. So people starting to figure out that Michael Lewis's team pretty darn fun to watch at Worthen Arena. Can we get him to South Bend, Michael Lewis? There's probably a lot of people that would like for him to Dane Fife still want to coach. There are a lot of people that that are looking at Michael Lewis and they're like, when he gets there to Interstate 69, does he take a right and go north, or does he take a left and start heading south? Whoa, easy there. In a couple of years here, right? Uh, Jerron Coleman, 22. Peyton Sparks had 14 for the cards. Elsewhere, last night, Creighton, 73-52 over Butler. Ryan Nimhard, that's Andrew's little brother, 12 points and 11 boards. Dogs now 3-6 and six in league play, 11-9 and nine overall. It was Southern Illinois over Evansville, Valpo over Illinois, Chicago, and Florida State or Notre Dame, 84-71. Irish now uh, sub-500. 9-10 and ten and 1-7 and seven in the ACC. Hey, Seminoles were 1-9. and nine. They're fighting back right now. And Kevin's fighting out. Yeah, Maddie looked up the TV late last night and goes, oh, Notre Dame's coming back. I go, Maddie, look at Florida State's record. 5-13. <laughs> and 13. That's going to be a bummer for Andrew Nemhard. Like the one game your brother plays in your backyard yeah, all year long and you're, you're on, on the road, road trip. Yeah. Uh, do you remember the name Chris Quinn for Notre Dame? He was yeah. kind of the guard with Chris Thomas yeah. back in the day. That's the guy I want. Eric Spolstra's top assistant in Miami. I think he was... Floated around here when they hired Nate uh, Nate Bjorkren. Eric Spolstra, heck of a coach, man. Yeah, very heck good. Of an NBA coach. On the Pacers front tonight, they are in Oklahoma City again. Don't assume it's the Thunder. They are just outright tanking. They're actually playing pretty good basketball as of late. They've won three straight on the road. They've won five of six. There is a half game out of the play-in in the West. We mentioned this earlier. You'll have an NBA league high tonight. Six Canadians on the floor if you combine both rosters. Shea Gildress, Alexander, Lou Dort, outstanding for the Thunder. Josh Giddy, their lottery pick from last season, pretty good player as well. Outside of that, the Thunder, it's just you're kind of like, wait, who are these people? Uh, Pacers, again, a four-point underdog. Game two of a four-game road trip after tonight. It'll be a little further out west at Denver on Friday, and then a back-to-back in Phoenix. 9 o'clock tips, Denver and Phoenix to round out the week. Dopirac or Doprac? Dopirac. Dopirac. Man, I wrote it out phonetically for for you. I feel bad for Dustin because, I mean, it is no disrespect. I just, for what, and my last name's Query, so, I mean, I got to be careful, but it's like a a mental hurdle for me. It is a mental hurdle. Yeah. It's a tough one. Good dude. I mean, I'm Dykin, so I, I, Dustin's I old beat, by the way, he covered Indiana basketball for the Bloomington Herald Times. Actually did a little bit of that earlier this year. IU and Purdue both back in action tomorrow night. Purdue's at the barn. That's a 7 o'clock tip. If you're going to play at the barn, 6 Central is probably a good time to play. Uh, and then Indiana at Illinois, I think that's an 8.30 tip there from, they call it the spaceship. It looks like a spaceship. The other assembly hall. So do, those would probably qualify as two disappointing Big Ten teams so far. Do people in Illinois Indiana, call Indiana no. the other assembly hall? They probably do, right? Probably. I believe yeah. the Bloomington one is the original assembly hall, right? Sounds right. God, Minnesota's terrible. Seven and nine. And their former coach got off to a good start in New Mexico, right? I saw that. The other night I saw was Richard Bettino against Tim Miles. You remember when Tim Miles was at Nebraska? I thought Tim Miles did a good job at Nebraska. He would tweet at halftime. I always loved that. <laughs> <laughs> he would tweet at halftime. I thought that was great. Right, obviously, we stink. We no, can't rebound. No halftime adjustments there either, right? You go yeah. in, you get your orange slices, coach sends a tweet, and you head back out. Boom, 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 <laughs> boom. Dustin DePierre, I talk Pacers next.
Jake is our next guest in the NBA. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. City you would least like to be in? No, because Oklahoma City has the Cowboy Hall of Fame, and I'd go visit that. But other than that, I don't so know what else. John Wayne so, and Clint Eastwood memorabilia. I, I, I guess the follow-up would be: Which city would you have below Oklahoma City from an NBA standpoint? You know, I'm in the minority here that I think Sacramento is kind of cool. But that would probably, you know, okay. And I know that we got to get to Dustin. I, I'm just going to say this, and then I, I don't want the backlash because people are going to light me up for it. Okay. Um. This time of year, Detroit would be leave a lot to be desired. But truth be told, go out, to Windsor. Out well, that is true. Go to Roots. Outside of the weather, Orlando doesn't do much for me. If I'm going to Florida, I want to be near water, not mice. That's all. Was that a Disney reference that there? It had but, to have been a Disney reference. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, people are like, "Oh, but what about Disney?" I'm like, yeah, "Okay." I mean, I, I don't. Drink around the world at Epcot. Uh, okay, I mean, I don't care about Harry Potter World. I, I, I just, I don't You're know. Too cool for school. The Cowboy Museum for Jake Query, though. That's right. Uh, that's that's right. right. Uh, didn't have bit- give me a Lucky Strike, not a butter beer. Right? Have- Here were these animatronic animals. <laughs> didn't have Mickey Mouse dig on my bingo card here for Jake, but sure enough. <laughs> well, there we are. Dustin DePerak, very gracious with his time right now. It is seven thirty in Oklahoma City Can right we, now. I, I thought you said it's Doperak. Oh, you dope. <laughs> dope enough, guys. It's close enough, guys. God. Dustin, Dustin, I'm, you've probably gone through this your entire life, so apologies yeah, on that front. Totally. It's supposed to be pure, but that's all right. Dope here, but it's all right. It's all right. Dope Iraq's fine. If, if, if you get the syllables right, generally. But here's the I'm thing. Is it, is it is it Dope Iraq or Dope Iraq? It's Dope Iraq. There's a little bit of a uh, emphasis in the middle there. Okay, I'm going to write this. But that's all right. You guys are doing great. I've, I've, I've had it butchered so much worse. Yeah, Dustin, so again, thrilled worse. at 7.30 to be clarifying this with <laughs> us here back in Indianapolis. Um, the mice joke was good. I was entertained, so. Yeah, let's not give Jake too much credit there. Uh, game two of a four-game road trip, so off to Denver, Phoenix. Much better cities probably on that front for you uh, here in the next couple of nights. I feel like this is a critical stretch the Pacers are in. You know, the Tyrese Halliburton injury, of course, is a huge factor into it. But, Dustin, I feel like for the first time in a while, Pacers fans have now gotten out of this like short-term thrill of the season and realized – Ooh, should we pump the brakes a little bit and be looking big picture? Yeah, I mean, like, and and the thing about it is though is that you you don't know what you should do when like, you know, uh, on the sample size when you're talking about you know, playing without their best player. I mean, and I think it, it's it's just been very clear how much of a difference he makes this time. I mean, because this is obviously the second time he's out with with an injury. The first time was only two games, and in those two games, Andrew Nemhart was special, and they only went one on one on one in that. But they beat Golden State, and you're like, okay, well they're they're going to be you know if, if they lose Halliburton, they're going to be fine. Um, and you know, Nemhart's having a much tougher go. Of it. I mean, he's twenty twenty point six percent from the floor uh, in the last three games. You know, he's making two and a half field goals a night and taking eleven and a half, and that's just that's not a great number. Um, and so now you're looking, you're saying, okay, well if they if, if they don't win in until he gets back, 
you know, then you're looking at sub 500. And if you're sub 500 toward the end of January, then you got to think something different. But I mean, they're just coming off a win in an eight out of ten. So with, with with Halliburton on the floor, so that tells you okay, but you can get him back and get right back in it. You know that, that it's totally possible that if that if he's back and he's healthy, you know you can win a string of games, and that's the best stretch they've had. Um, you know, o- over a ten game stretch uh, this season. I think they had a five game winning streak earlier in the year, but I mean they were also beating pretty bad teams on that one. I mean this this one they were beating, you know, uh, teams that matter, teams that are legitimate title contenders, Cleveland. You know the Clippers. I mean, there there are some there are some really good wins. Boston. Um, there's some really good wins in that stretch. So I, I don't think uh, there is a possibility you could you could that, that this could change the trajectory for the negative, and you might start thinking about uh, possibly moving people. I mean, obviously the, the big key just comes down to you know where are they going to be with Miles Turner um, at that point? Uh, if, if they could get him to an extension, then obviously you're, you're not really thinking about throwing pieces away. Um, but they're they're definitely in a weird spot, and I think it's definitely a case where you, you just have to win a couple. You don't have to. You, you just don't. You, you need to just not lose out. You know, you need to just find a way to get a couple wins on this trip. Uh, you know, maybe beat Chicago on Tuesday when they come back home. I mean, just just get something out of this stretch where Halliburton's not playing, so that you're not totally free falling while he's out. Let's begin with this, Dustin, on the Halliburton front, and then I've got a follow up about Miles Turner, but. Um, I know that when Tyrese Halliburton got hurt, and it you know it was the the elbow knee deal, and it was that he's going to be reassessed in two weeks. Um, that reassessment is expected to take place exactly when. And have you heard from either Halliburton or Indiana in general just overall as to where they feel that timeline is? Has it moved at all? Uh, not so far. I mean, the only I could say is that uh, I, we haven't really just heard much of him, but he was in. Um, he was in Milwaukee on 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 Monday uh, because I mean that's just you know close to his hometown in Oshkosh. He was you know pretty much the mayor there. Uh, well, you know basically just take well, just holding court on in pregame uh, with just everybody came to see him. And I mean he, he I mean he's walking around okay. I mean I think you know obviously we're only talking about you know four or five days out uh, at this point. So you're not expecting a whole big drastic, uh, you know, change there. So I don't know exactly, you know, well, I'll, I'll probably check in with Rick today just to get a better sense. We'll get, we'll get to pregame uh, to see if they know anything more, you know, that will be a week past it uh, today. Um, and, you know, to sort of see if anything's changed. But uh, I mean, you know, the next time we saw him, like he was off crutches. It's not like he's, uh, you know, he's completely hobbled. Um, so there's, I, I think there's something to be said for that. I mean, if you're just seeing him walk around, you can't tell. You know, it's not like very obvious. Now, obviously, you know, Chris Duarte looked okay for a while before they actually let him play. Um, so, so that obviously could be an issue. You know, like when you're talking about sprains, and, and they're always just a little bit tricky about okay, how far along is this guy? And there's always a difference between one guy and the other. Um, but you know, you're, you're not looking at somebody who's just totally broken still at this point. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't. You know, I, 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 there, there, I don't. I haven't seen a reason yet to be concerned that it'll go beyond two weeks. But, you know, obviously we'll check in and see if there's anything more to that. I believe, Dustin, that the Pacers would really like, and and we know that their, you know, preliminary offer was extended. I do believe that their priority is going to be to retain Miles Turner. But if they feel that there is a price tag they do not want to exceed, do you think, even though he was sent to Fort Wayne and fell out of rotation a little bit there, do you think that Indiana has started to feel like they've seen enough out of Jackson to make up if they were to lose Miles Turner? Could he take on the same kind of rim protection role, or does he not have the outside game 
and therefore they would have to seek elsewhere to replace Miles Turner in the long run? I think they'd have to seek elsewhere to play, to, to play him in the long run. I mean, I, I think Isaiah Jackson is definitely a rotation player in the NBA. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I just don't know if he's Miles, um, you know, long term. I think that, uh, you know, you, you've seen a lot of good things from him. I mean, I think, you know, and, and he's a great dude. And so, like, he's a very easy person to root for. It's sort of, you want to see good things for him. Um, but, you know, there's just more variance in Miles Turner's game. I mean, like, I'm sure by this point in their careers, you know, Turner was a much, much better shooter even then. And, and now, I mean, like, he's not, you know, he's not shooting 40, but, like, you know, you, you can rely on him for one of those games where he hits, you know, four, five, six, you know, six is a little bit much, but like, you know, four or five threes, that's not a crazy number for him. And, and uh, you know, he had some big ones um, on Monday, and that was a big reason why they were in that game. He comes back, you know, after a couple of games out and goes for 30. Um, and I just don't see Isaiah Jackson as being that type of guy. And, and on, on a flip side, I mean, like, uh, Jackson's terrific rim protector, and you've really seen that, I think, in, in some of these games recently. And, you know, a lot of energy, you know, again, very valuable player. So I don't, I don't want to do this just, you know, bang on Isaiah Jackson and act like he's not very good. I mean, I, I think he's a really good rotation player and he can start for you on occasion. Um, but Miles Turner is a guy that every once in a while can get you 30, and I haven't seen that from Isaiah Jackson yet. Obviously, he's still, he just turned 21 like last week. Um, and so there's a lot more years to him and, you know, certainly you could get by, um, if, you know, with Jalen Jackson and, uh, I'm sorry, Jalen Jackson, Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson. I mean, that's, that's a functional uh, rotation for a five-man, but you're not, you don't have a plus five-man between those two and you know I, I, obviously everybody can develop you know things can change but I mean you, you haven't seen Jackson as a guy that is confident uh, stepping out at three a lot where Turner has obviously you know done that for, for his whole career that's, that's an important always been an important piece of his game um, I just have a hard time imagining I mean you know can Jackson be a poor man's Miles Turner yes I think but can Jackson be Miles Turner I don't know and I don't know that you contend for a title if you don't have somebody at least at Miles Turner at Miles Turner's level at the five. If if you have long term aspirations of them being really good, you know, could they get by for a year with Isaiah? Yeah, they could get by for a year with Isaiah, but I don't know that you could. Um, I, you know, I just I, I I don't think you're equaling him in the long term with Isaiah. Dustin Apirak is with us from the Annapolis Star right now in Oklahoma City tonight. Pacers and Thunder, four point favorite Oklahoma City in that one. Obviously one of the stars from the other night and really kind of out of body performance was TJ McConnell from a scoring standpoint. Teams are desperate at the trade deadline. We know that full well. TJ McConnell is an older guy. I think he brings a lot of good to the Indiana Pacers, but I think when you have guys like him and you have an Andrew Nemhard and theoretically he is a point guard, I know he's been asked to do a lot. I think you ask yourself the question if you're Kevin Pritchard, you know, would TJ McConnell get anything if you were to trade? Like, is there a playoff hunger team that says, we need a veteran backup point guard? Am I way off base on that? Or do you think that is something the Pacers might just ask themselves of, okay, could TJ McConnell, you know, get us back some, you know, late, late first round pick from a desperate playoff team? Yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, um, I just don't need. I don't think they need a late, a late first round pick enough to move him. Uh, I mean, too much value here. Is, yeah, I, I think there's. 
but but to your point, like I, I think you'd have to look and see what's out there. You know, I I, I think you have to um, if if you can do better than that. If someone's a little bit more desperate and they need a backup point guard when they really need a second unit guy to to, to take them the distance, um, then yeah, I mean, I I, th- I think it's I mean it, it makes sense to field offers. I mean that's that's an important component um, to a championship team is having somebody that can run the floor when you when you've got your second unit out there. Um, that's a smart player that brings energy. You know, I mean, like Rick Carlisle will tell you all day how valuable he is, um, and you know how much he thinks he's helped this group. Um, and so, I mean, obviously, he's an important chemistry piece. He's an important on the floor piece. And you know, Nemhart's having some moments where he's not uh, been as good um, as again, like you, you saw him, you know, come out and be spectacular the first time Halliburton was hurt. And he's been phenomenal defensively. Uh, you know, and that's I think a really important thing. Um, I don't think they would. The, the the issue with if you're the Pacers is um, I don't think that you you know like you have them in the first unit right now you have Nemhart in the first unit right now as a starter they they like that lineup uh, they like having Nemhart and Nesmith in the in the starting lineup so that's their two best defenders so you have three really good offensive players you have two guys that are oh, that, that you know can make shots and, and do the occasional thing on offense but are there for their for their defense when you talk about Nesmith and Nemhart obviously you have you know Turner who's kind of both as a rim protector and a guy who can score the basketball so they they generally sort of like the balance they have of guys that can score and guys that can play defense and not the first team and then you have McConnell running the second unit and Nemhart can get some minutes there but he doesn't do a ton uh, on the point I mean, and he can move back there but you know, I think they like where they're at in terms of being able to have everything that they want because you don't want Halliburton defending one of your best defensive players that's not or offensive players that's not his game he gets steals he's opportunistic as far as grabbing the ball but he's not a lockdown defender where Nemhart can be um, so I don't think I mean I, I think they consider McConnell an important piece to this group and if it's going anywhere they're going to want to keep him uh, if to move him I think you're going to have to want you're going to have to get something uh, you're going to have to get something important um, and it, it, it can't just be a throwaway thing uh, is, is what I would say. I think they, they see more value value in him than that. Um, you know, because of the veteran presence, the leadership, the energy that he brings, the hustle, you know, the backcourt steals. I mean, he, he gets a bunch of possessions that way. Um, you know, he he stands out when it comes to the analytics. I mean, right now, I mean, in the three games that Halliburton's hurt, he's, he's their second-leading scorer. You know, and that's not just from last night. You know, that's, I mean, he, he's been putting the ball in the bucket. Um, and so there's there's real value there. And, and again, if they have a situation where they lose Halliburton at all, uh, you know, then the bottom can fall out if you don't have a T.J. McConnell. So I, I think that they would have to be impressed um, by an offer for them to give him up. Dustin Dopriak is our guest. He is on the Payless Lickers hotline, of course, talking about the Pacers. All right, I've, I've got my list here of if I was traveling the Pacers beat, the five cities, like if you had a day in between and you were in a city for the day, the five cities in the NBA beat that, that I would least want to spend that day in, and let me preface with, much of this is weather-oriented. I've been to all of these mm-hmm. cities, and I think there are certain cool things about all of them. But my bottom five, and I'm considering that it's probably going to be in the winter months, Detroit, Cleveland, Toronto, Philly, and then Orlando. Atlanta is in the mix because downtown Atlanta is nothing but hotels and chain restaurants. Um, your, your thoughts? So I haven't been to all of them yet. That's I mean, now I love Philly because I got people in Philly, so I would never. It's a great that. city. There's no doubt about yeah. that. It's By the a, way, Dustin, a Penn State grad, so some ties. Yeah, that, to, important to important to say there. Like uh, you know, like half my best friends in college are from Philly, uh, or, or from from the outstanding area. Uh, you know. 
uh, Chris Corman's a Redding guy from way back. Now he lives in, uh, you know, outside of Baltimore now. But I mean, I've got, you know, good friends. The third guy we covered the Penn State football beat with in college, Jeff France, goes out there. Um, so I got people in Philly, and I, I love Philly, so I, I could never put them on my list there. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I'm the type that, like, if you put me downtown, I'm going to find something to do. I, I get know? it. Like, I'm going to find something I like, and it's just like, if I if I got a, you know, bar. Like, I, I think Oak City, it. Oak City is kind of underrated, right? I mean, isn't, like, Bricktown yeah. pretty cool, and then, like Bricktown's I said. Bricktown's pretty cool. I'm, I'm staying in Bricktown. I'm literally, their AAA ballpark is down here, and, like, uh, my hotel, I'm at the Hampton Inn, basically, and I, I, like, literally my window looks out to the ballpark. Like, I'm in, like, left field. Um, and there's, you know, like there's like three, four, five bars right outside my, right outside my hotel. Um, and it's, I'm like, you know, a half mile to the arena. And so there's a whole bunch of, there, there's some interesting, cool stuff. I mean, it's definitely not like you wouldn't think of it as this grand cosmopolitan place that I'm sitting in, but there's stuff to do down here. I think, uh, you mentioned the, the Cowboy, uh, Hall of Fame. Uh, I saw, I walked and saw the American Banjo Museum is on the way down here also. So that's got to be a little bit of a trip. I'm you know, the, the American Banjo Museum, I got in there one time uh, after hours. You know how? how I'd love to know. Uh, pulled yeah, some so strings. Dustin, if you ever needed a reason to either go to those bars <laughs> right now or actually go back to bed. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. exactly. Uh, okay, so what was the other Mark, last one? time he probably responds to a yeah. text saying you want to come on the show. Orlando was my last one, but we talked about that. You had um, Detroit, yeah. I, I got. I, I've been to. I've only been to Detroit. I think once. I want to uh, say. Um, I so still went up there I, one weekend. <laughs> yeah. So obviously, you've heard not great things about Detroit uh, on the whole, but you know, I, mean, I, I thought their downtown was pretty cool. I mean, I, I, I checked out a game at Comerica one time, uh, you know, with some friends. We, we didn't have a chance to really dig into the place, but I mean, I could see some cool things around there. Um, and so I, I don't know too much about where the arena's at, but I, I, that, that's a place I'm going to have to stay because I think they've got like a Saturday, Monday deal, and we'll Windsor, we'll baby. To that. Head to yeah, Windsor. There we go. Hey, um, last Windsor. thing. Yeah, so we'll see. Mm. Dustin Bricktown accurately describes the streak that Chris Duarte was on there. He might have broken out of yeah. it a little bit, but how big a concern was the slump that Duarte was in? I mean, it was it, it was putting putting a major weight on him. I think you've actually seen a weight come off uh, really since. I mean, just I mean, he had a couple last night. Or not last night. He had a couple on Monday, and yeah, he 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 seemed like there's a weight off his shoulders. Uh, you know, just since he finally went off for 25. I mean, like I, I the, the wild part for me was like. I, I, you know, I only followed the team so close last year because obviously I was covering IU, uh, you know, football and basketball. So it was like, okay, there's so many, only so many nights where I just like watched the Pacers and I knew Duarte was shooting pretty well. Uh, but I mean, he got hurt like the day before they moved me over on the beat. And so I didn't even know, like, I didn't even, I barely even seen him play when they brought him in and, you know, brought him back when he, when he, when he came off the injury. Uh, and man, he just looked hopeless uh, for that entire 11 game stretch. I mean, I mean, the numbers are just abysmal. He was shooting 18.6% from the floor, three of 32 from three. I mean, that's just brutal, you know, especially for a guy that considers himself a shooter. And you know, I say considers himself, and that's not really a fair way to put it because I mean, he had every right to, uh, you know, for, I mean, he was a great shooter everywhere he'd been. Uh, his whole life, he came to, you know, the Pacers and, and you know, had a terrific rookie season shooting the ball. So he had every reason to think he should be able to just come right back and, and at least knock down shots, even if he wasn't going to be as explosive uh, as he as he's used to be. And not that he's a super explosive guy, but but he had reason to be able to put the ball in the bucket. He just could not find it. Um, and just so much was going on there. So when I think it, it you know, you had to consider it a concern 
because you know this is a guy that's supposed to get you buckets and he's not. Um, so you know what do you do there? And 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 if that slump never ends, you know like you know how much can you play the guy? Um, but so it's obviously big for them to get him shooting again, especially with Halliburton out. They need a little more perimeter punch. And if they're going to, I mean, they, they haven't gone back to a sec, a true second unit yet uh, with Halliburton out, even though they're back to 10, uh, 10 useful guys in rotation. Um, they didn't play Jackson a lot on, on Monday. Um, but it, you, you have to have a guy coming off that second, off the bench. If you're going to move Mather into the starting lineup for a little while, you have to get buckets from Duarte um, in the second unit. You, know, you, you can depend on something from McConnell, but you can't depend on 25 and 4-4-3 four, 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 every night. Um, so, you know, they're going to need some buckets out of him uh, during this draft. Uh, and so it's really important that he finally got off the schneid. I, I think, you know, I I, I don't think he's going to go off for 25 every night. I don't even know if he's going to go for double figures every night. But I think you're going to see him start to make some shots. He just seems uh, a lot more at ease. There's, there is a, definitely a weight lifted off that man uh, since, 20, since, uh, since Saturday. He's got your coverage from the road. After tonight, it's off to Denver and Phoenix coming up Friday and Saturday, a four-game road trip for the Pacers. Dustin DePirac with the Indianapolis Star. Dustin, safe travels, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. That's Dustin DePirac right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. We come back, we'll get back into the Colts head coaching search. Two names on the list this week, both from the New York Giants. Patricia Traina will join us to talk more about Mike Kafka and Wink. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Martindale, coming up next. The Fan. Jake, we're going to be a bit selfish here in this segment, I think, for New York Giants fans. Well, that's a change of pace for me. Well, yeah. Exactly. That's a great point. Uh, for New York Giants fans, of utmost importance is Saturday night in Philly as the Giants take on the Eagles in the divisional round of the playoffs. Uh, for us in this market, we probably care more about their two coordinators and Mike Kafka on offense and Wink Martindale on defense. The Colts reportedly have put an interview request for both. If I'm not mistaken, I think both will hold off on interviews this week. Sounds like that could be on the agenda Sunday for either or both of them and to get to know a little bit more about Kafka and Martindale we head to the Payless Liquors hotline where Patricia Trena resides GiantsCountry.com locked on Giants podcast among others Patricia first off good morning and thanks for kind of deviating from I'm sure what a lot of your fan base wants to chat about good morning to you guys hope you're doing well uh, let's start with the news earlier this week on the Colts interview request for both of them. Um, any level of surprise to hear the interest for Mike Kafka and or Wink Martindale? No, not really. I mean, when, when a team is doing well, which the Giants have been doing this season, uh, their, their assistants are going to be in demand. I mean, I thought with Kafka maybe it would be another year, but considering what Daniel Jones, how he has turned things around under his you know, Kafka's play calling, Brian Dable's leadership, uh, not a surprise at all. The Colts are a team that I'm sure are going to look into getting a new, a new young quarterback and grooming a new offense and defense. So can't say that it's a surprise given what the Giants have done with, under Kafka on offense and Martindale on defense in the first year. You know, Patricia, I think you touched on a really good point there in terms of what Indianapolis is going to have to do now, which is inevitably it seems as though go to a young quarterback and let's talk about Daniel Jones and what New York was able to do 
was Kafka able to kind of bring something out of him here with Daniel Jones, or was this simply part of the maturation process of a young quarterback in the NFL finally kind of getting his his footing underneath him? I think it was a combination of both. I think what Kafka and Brian Dable did is they basically reset Daniel Jones's mind. Remember, Daniel had had multiple coaches, multiple coordinators, multiple systems. I mean, that's enough to send something into a tizzy. And Dable and Kafka, Kafka being a former quarterback who, of course, you know, as a coach, uh, mentored or learned under Andy Reid, who, you know, I think we can all agree is one of the best out there, if not the best. He, they came in and they offered some stability to him. They allowed him to make mistakes in practice, to get a feel for what he knows, what he can, what he's comfortable with and whatnot, and just grow from there. And, and you just saw it with Daniel Jones. Each and every week, he became more and more confident. And uh, he's got that offense, you know, it's, it's not a not a juggernaut, don't get me wrong, but it's certainly headed in the right direction under that, that system. Yeah, and I, I would argue, considering the personnel wide receiver and tight end, it's pretty impressive what they've done offensively. Um, again, Patricia Traina joined us. She covers the Giants a little bit more. Mike Kafka, their offensive coordinator, and Wink Martindale, two candidates the Colts have interest in. Uh, while we're on the offensive side of the ball, let, let's stick there. You know, I think when Brian Dable was hired, I was just under the impression that he would probably call the plays. You know, We saw it with Nick Sirianni, at least early in his Philly career. Sirianni then handed it off to his OC, but it seemed like from day one, or at least, you know, there's a little bit of trial in the offseason, but Dable has not called the plays and allowed Kafka to do that. Can you kind of explain that process and, and exactly maybe whose offense we're, we're looking at? Is this a little bit more Dable or is this a little bit more Kafka bringing over what he knew from Kansas City? I think it's probably more Dable, but just by a little bit. Kafka brought some, some elements over from Kansas City as well as other, you know, Remember, Kafka was a, a, a former NFL quarterback, so he probably brought some things here and there from, from his playing days as well. But, um, it, you know, the offense is, is primarily what they did in Buffalo. I would say the majority of it is. But there's enough, you know, if, if you look real close, you'll see little elements that Kansas City likes to run. And it's been a very good blend for the Giants. Daniel Jones is really taking to it. And as you mentioned, you know, with receivers that I think if anybody had said at the start of the season that these would be the top receivers he'd be throwing to, you'd be like, nah, no way. Uh, then you throw in the addition of Saquon Barkley, you know, a good runner who has just been really, you know, he's been solid as, as all heck. And, uh, you know, you've had, a great ma- you've had a great marriage and a system that has just evolved and been effective. Patricia, you have covered the New York Giants under several different coaching tenures, probably, for that matter, of different coaching styles. In your experience in covering the NFL and being in locker rooms and talking to players and and breaking down games, do you believe that coaching success is found more so if you were if it were up to you, do you think that it is more about a coach that comes in with a fresh offensive or defensive schematic philosophy or at the professional level is it more important to have a coach that simply understands how to reach personalities and mesh them together into a unit i think it's a little bit of both but i think the personality meshing aspect is is very often overlooked 
You know, you're coming in and you got to remember what what's the definition of a coach? A coach is someone who stands behind you, who's kind of like a teacher or a mentor, and their job is to bring out the best in in the people with whom they're entrusted to to to, to shape. And you know, it helps to have a plan. It helps to have a solid system. But sometimes what you see with coaches is that they don't have the personality to connect to their players. You know, it's, it's kind of my way or no way. Or they don't have the, the ability to adapt. We've seen that certainly here in New York where coaches have come in with one, knowing one system and by golly, we're going to make this system fit. Even though our players might not be a fit for what we're running, we're going to make it fit come, you know, regardless. So you have to have that flexibility, and that comes from the personal level. You have to be able to realize when, okay, maybe I can't have this guy do this particular play or make this particular throw, but he's good doing this, so how can we build the system or adapt the system around what he does well? She's Patricia Train. Again, covers the Giants, GiantsCountry.com, SI.com, Locked on Giants podcast. She's with us here on the Payless Lickers Hotline, getting to know Mike Kafka, their OC, Wink Martindale, their defensive coordinator. Colts have put in interview requests for both. Uh, Kafka's 35. You flip over to the other side of the ball, you've got a 59-year-old in Martindale. He's the oldest of the uh, 11 candidates the Colts have looked into so far. We had Chuck Pagano on with us yesterday, and he mentioned that Martindale, we will love him from a personality standpoint, kind of compared him a little bit to Bruce Arians. Um, certainly a guy that strikes me as you'd like to you know, sit next to and have a beer with. Um, how would you describe what Martindale has brought defensively? Because, you know, that is, you know, unlike offense, you know, Brian Dable is primarily on that side of the ball. I'd assume that that's his baby over there. Yeah. Wake Martindale, the, the personality, it, you know, I think, you nailed it when you said he's the type of guy you'd want to sit and have a beer with. The thing about Wink is, you know, he came into the to, to the league. He's always had that reputation as being aggressive, which feeds into the mentality of a defensive player. What do defensive players like to do? They like to be aggressive. They like to get after the quarterback, get after the receiver, get after the ball carrier. So Wink Martindale is all about that. But the thing that makes Wink very special and, and why I think his players here on the Giants absolutely love him is he's not afraid to go to him go to them and ask them for their input there have been instances like for example where you know during the game he'll go to his his defensive lineman or his captains and say hey guys should we do this or should we do that what do you what are you feeling what are you seeing out there and you gotta remember you know sometimes with coaches they never quite you know a lot of them don't play at the nfl level and yet they've been entrusted to guide NFL players to, you know, to, to win. So for a coach to, to put aside his ego and go to these guys who are actually out there on the front line and say, what are you seeing? And, you know, should we do A, B, or C? That really means a lot to them. And then when they say, well, coach, we should do A, and he says, okay, go ahead and do it. Well, now the players are like, okay, he trusts us. We made the decision. We got to go out there and we've got to justify it and show him that he was right to trust us. So you just have that dynamic that develops and just take, helps the players take it to a whole nother level. Patricia, let's say two and a half weeks from now, the Colts make a hire. They come from the Giants. Will Giants fans be more upset if that hire is Mike Kafka or Wink Martindale? Oh, gosh. I think it's, it's going to be 50-50. But um, if I had to take a guess, Maybe Wink, and the reason why I say that is because I believe, and this is not a diss on Mike Kafka, I think it, 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 they would be devastated if Kafka left, but 
you have Dable with that system. There's enough of that system that can carry over. And plus, I think they might have somebody on staff already if, if Costco were to move on. Over on defense, you know, do they have somebody on staff who can take over for Wayne? Possibly. But um, that's a little trickier. You know, you'd, I, I would think they'd want to establish continuity if they could. But, you know, at least they have more continuity. Because, you know, Dable's not going anywhere for a while. You know, hopefully not for a long while. So I would say probably the more devastating loss would be would be Martindale. In terms of the New York Giants and the upcoming matchup with Philadelphia, uh, just while we have you here to wrap it up, your thoughts on the matchup and what New York needs to do to stay alive? Yes, and it, it's a tough one. You know, it's the third time going to be a charm for the New York Giants. You know, the Eagles have a loaded roster. I think we can all agree that they have an absolutely loaded roster. Maybe the 49ers have the, have the best roster in the league, but that, that's down the line, hopefully. Um, the Giants against the Eagles in the Week 18 game, their backups played the Eagles starters pretty solid. Now, to be fair, both sides were pretty vanilla because I think both sides anticipated there might be a possibility they'd see each other in the playoffs again. But the Giants, if they want to stay alive, number one, first and foremost, you've got to play a clean game. You can't have mistakes. Number two, I think their, their best bet is going to be to try and get that running game going. The Eagles have shown on defense that they can be run against. So if the Giants can do that, maybe that loosens a few things up down the field. If they can't run the ball, then I think it's going to be a long night for the Giants. Then on the other side, it looks like Jalen Hurts is going to play. Now, the Eagles look like a totally different team. and They struggled without Jalen Hurts in the, in the lineup. So he's going to be back. How much they're going to ask him to do, my guess is they're going to just take the, the constraints off and say, look, it's all or nothing, so let's just do it. So they've got to make sure that he doesn't burn them with, the, with his legs because, look, if he's burning them with the legs and then he's got those three receivers that he can throw to, that can make for a long night as well. So got to get a clean game, run the ball, and just you know zero in on Jalen Hurts. Try to affect them. I think Week Martindale is going to be a little bit more aggressive this week than he was last week against Kirk Cousins, and just you know, leave it all out on the field. If you look at the wild card weekend, we saw the third matchups, divisional teams playing each other for a third time. We saw all of the underdogs have second half leads, so that's got to be encouraging to the Giants as they look at themselves as a touchdown underdog in Philly in what will be a raucous atmosphere come Saturday night. Patricia, great stuff. Uh, we'll see what happens the rest of the head coaching cycle. Might have you back on if they do make a an official hire here of a Kafka or a Martindale, but really appreciate you uh, kind of breaking off from the game on Saturday and giving us a little bit of insight my pleasure guys have a good one that's patricia trainer right there on the payless liquors hotline again jake i i'm intrigued by mike kafka 35 years old um your diehard big 10 audience probably your degenerate big 10 audience that bet on northwestern and minnesota at noon in november they'll recall kafka starting there for northwestern as a quarterback played in the league bounced around to a lot of different practice squads patrick mahomes position coach Throughout his entire playing career, uh, the Chiefs elevated him to passing game coordinator each of his last two seasons there. So clearly Andy Reid views him very highly. And then, you know, when Brian Dable, a strong offensive mind, says, you know what? I trust this guy. I don't have a ton of connections with him. I'm going to let him run the show. That stands out to me for a 35-year-old. You know, 
if a guy's resume was that he had been the quarterback coach for Patrick Mahomes and that was it, you would say, yeah, I don't know. How much of that is the is the player? Sure. But I think what has awakened in Daniel Jones here, and as Patricia was talking about, probably 50-50, a little bit on the player, but, but also the coach, uh, that in itself is pretty intriguing. I mean, I've never heard of these wideouts. Never heard of these tight ends right. that the Giants have. I thought it was really impressive in scoring 31 against the Vikings last week. Saquon Barkley carried the ball nine times. You know, if you're going to tell me last Saturday morning, or I guess it was a Sunday game, last Sunday morning, hey, the Giants are going to score 31 today, I'd say, oh man, Barkley had to have had 150. Wait a minute. So are you telling me that having a dynamic, game-changing, potentially breakaway runner in your backfield, you find more success with when they're a complementary piece to an aerial attack or a quarterback that's mobile than somebody that you hand it to 30 times a game? I think there's a lot of accuracy in that statement. Were you going anywhere with that comment? You said it in a a kind of a way that led me think... I'm just saying. Could be insinuating something there. I'm just saying. By the way, uh, Barkley had a great game, though. He had over 100 yards total player. offense. But, yeah, it's just I, Kafka's a, it, he's a name. He's a name that I'm intrigued by. Uh, Kurt in Arkansas, I just got this, sent us a box of candy bars. You weren't kidding about this. I mean, that thing is huge. So we, we got into talking about the zero bar. He, and Kurt worked in the candy industry, so he's got all kinds of statistics here. Uh, I have a hard time believing this. Zero Ranks number 66 in candy bar sales in 2022. There are 65 candy bars above it. I yeah, believe it. I, I'm shocked there's not 165 Well, but above I mean, it. can you name 65 candy bars? I mean, yeah, you start yeah, running pretty thin after about 18, right? I think Reese's is like the NFL. They occupy 80 of the top 100 slots. It's <laughs> like the NFL true. for TV Well, viewing. he sent us a Reese's Nutrageous for you. That's only in the king size, right? That was terrific. And by the way, thank you to Kurt. Kurt's called in before. Seems like a great dude. Very, very nice of him. Uh, he has breakdowns of each of them. The Reese's Outrageous Bar uh, is probably the favorite candy bar. Super indulgent and will fill you up more than a Snickers. Number 86 in sales as it's hard to find in stores. Only available in king size. There are 85 candy bars selling more than the Nut Reese's. Are you kidding me? Or Outrageous, sorry. Now, he, he sent Whatchamacallit's, too. I thought Whatchamacallit was a mainstay. That was huge in the, in the early to mid-'80s, right? No. I didn't know they were still around. You threw one at me, and I'm like, I didn't know they still made these. I need, a, me? I need to find this, but it was a couple of years ago. My wife's a big puzzle person. Mm-hmm. Uh, she did a puzzle of like old-school candy bars. Oh, yeah. Whatchamacallit on there? It was. And, I mean, honestly, when you opened that box from Kurt, I felt like I saw like it brought back all these memories of that puzzle. You know I what? gotta find it. What I find interesting is nearly every candy bar has the same caloric intake. Is, do they do they try that? Like is I, that I really try not to look at that. Does it have to be two hundred and thirty to be? If an you're eating candy, candy why are you looking at the? Yeah, caloric agreed. Yeah. You've already made the decision. I don't think I'm going there. I'm, I'm gonna ex- hold up the line in the gas oh, station. What's the serving to, size? Yeah. Twenty-eight. I'm excited for the already. vanilla bun bar. The, these are they're more like a patty. Scotty, would you like candy? Scotty has just come in in his official pacer gear here. Your guys' favorite game of divisional round weekend is what? Oh, it's got to be Bills Bengals. Yeah, I mean, you almost have to take that one off the. I'm going to go back to, and I'm not going to open up the can of worms again on why I think it's weird that that game is not on a neutral field, but the championship game is. Um, 49ers Cowboys don't. 
It's got a bit of a 90s vibe. Don't have that for level I do for like you? that one. Okay. Yeah. Rematch of last year, remember? Mm-hmm. San Francisco winning in Dallas. I... To start their run to the I will NFC be honest about game. this. I appreciate Patricia's time. I, Giants Eagles to me is just I, there's something about NFC East games. They're always like in 45 degree misty weather. It's yeah, just I kind of like that on Saturday night though. Uh, okay, I mean that's cool on Saturday night maybe yeah, but on a, Jaguars Chiefs I feel could be sneaky good too. You know really? the thing I was thinking mm-hmm. about with, with the Jags, Tennessee and Houston. I know this is a little bit earlier in the Mahomes era. But Tennessee and Houston played road playoff games at Arrowhead and more than held their own. Remember Houston oh, yeah. had that huge lead and uh-huh. Kansas City came back to win that game. And again, I don't know if uh, AFC South Magic or whatever. Obviously, the Colts, when they went to Arrowhead, they did not have a lead in their playoff game there. But um, that is something which, that I'm curious which about. Which of the four games, Jacksonville in Arrowhead, the Giants in Philly, the Bengals in Buffalo, or Dallas at Levi Stadium, if that's what it's still called, in Santa Clara, which has the most expensive secondary oh, market tickets? Got to be the Cowboys. Mark? Yeah, I got I, I would assume Cowboys 49ers. Which is the most affordable? I would guess the first game. I don't, uh, Arrowhead, though? Yeah, but, I mean, I don't know. It's J- Jacksonville, and people are like, yeah, let's jump in the pool one week and go to Arrowhead the next. 143 bucks to get into the game in Arrowhead Stadium. It's going to cost you 163 if you want to go to Buffalo and break tables. $257 in the city of brotherly love. And if you want to see Dallas in San Francisco, your minimum ticket right now in the secondary market, 458 bucks. Gosh. I believe it. You look Not, at that. There are very few things that I would pay $458 to see. Colts had coaching interests, the Giants, of course, and Shane Steichen. So the Eagles offense coordinators are three of the four coordinators on Saturday night. And if you look at Sunday's slate, it would be the nightcap there. Uh, both defensive coordinators, Dan Quinn for Dallas, D'Amico Ryans for the 49ers. Mark, to your point about Bengals' bills, nine in a row for Cincinnati. Eight in a row mm-hmm. for Buffalo. Cincinnati, first time in franchise history they've won back-to-back playoff games. And you bring up home field for Buffalo, they've won 13 of their last 14 home playoff games. You don't think – you really think Jacksonville can go in and make that a game, Mark? I think so. But Kansas City has so. had a few chinks. I mean, Houston took them to overtime. They lost the Colts for God's sake. Yeah, but I mean, come on. I know. That was kind of a fluky loss, but I'd love to see Trevor Lawrence play well. Don't get me wrong. I do think it's just a totally different atmosphere than Mm -hmm. anything that they've seen. Yeah. But, again, I don't think Kansas City's been outright dominant all year long. Have you guys been to Arrowhead? No, I'd love to go. Tremendous. I think it's right up there with Seattle. It's pretty cool. I'd love to go. Gosh, then you then you look at it and think, oh, Kansas City's only lost one time since Halloween. <laughs> and that's They've kind since, of been flying out of the radar, right? That's the Cincinnati. But they have played a bunch of close games. Uh, speaking of games, a couple of them last night. Let's get to it in the morning checkdown. The morning checkdown brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Pacers in action tonight at Oklahoma City. As a matter of fact, that game you can hear the pregame beginning at 7.30 right here on The Fan. Last night in the association, Milwaukee over the Raptors, 130-122. to Drew Holiday with 37 in that game. Grayson Allen, 25, only tripped four people. San Antonio over the Nets, 106-98. It was Denver over 
Portland and Philadelphia over the Clippers, 120 to 110. Three game win streak for Philly. I'll bring in donuts tomorrow if any of you can name the head coach of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Scotty Brooks. Darn it. Uh, Billy Donovan. Oh, I would have. I couldn't even venture a guess. Never heard of this NBA, human being in my life. Kruger. NBA head coaches are so so obscure. How about like. if I gave you his first name? Okay. His first name is Mark. Uh, Mark Madsen. Now he was the dancer, right, on the Lakers <laughs> yeah, team? Yeah, he, he is now the head coach, I believe, at Utah Valley, I think. Guys, this guy's been the Thunder coach for three years. Really? Mark Adams. Mark Mitchell. Boy, i not even going to try on the pronunciation. Dignault? Oh, Mark Dykton. Oh. Long lost relative. D-A-I-G-N-E-A-U-L-T. His... It looks like Daniel Scotty is yelling at you, Kevin. Well, I, I actually have the phonetic, and it's saying Dignault here for what it's worth. Um, Billy Donovan Disciple looks like a Florida assistant at one point. Oklahoma City Blue, I assume that is their G League team. A Thunder assistant, and then hired to be their full-time Oklahoma head coach. City Blue is also how their fans described their last three seasons, right? Isn't that right? I looked him up, and the first thing it says, Mike Mark Dagnall, 35, is obviously a good-looking man with probably many female admirers. What? Is that his, like, <laughs> wow. What in the world? Jeez. Are you sure that's not Mark Dagnall? Yeah, I wish. Who wrote that up? Gosh. And I wish. Coach Dagnall edited his Wikipedia page early this morning? <laughs> okay. Uh, Nathan points this out. Isn't Trevor Lawrence still undefeated on Saturdays? Isn't his that stat profile. still out there, Jake? Trevor Lawrence has not lost a game on Saturdays in his career, right? College or professional. Since he was going to walk Walking Taco in fourth grade after a That's right. jamboree back in the day. That's right. Uh, college basketball from last night. Uh, what do we got? Butler, they got rolled by Creighton. The losses for Butler this year in the Big East have been ugly. I know they're dealing with injuries. Uh, a disappointing effort at Hinkle Fieldhouse last night. Up in South Bend, Jake, Notre Dame was down 13 to nothing. They get blown out by an awful Florida State team. Uh, I have obviously brought it up quite often here on the show, but I think there's some smoke behind this being Mike Bray's final season at the helm. You think so? I think there's some smoke. We've said that before, right? Uh, but not to the point of, like, the product's been this bad. It's more of been, hey, it's been a fun run. I'm going to retire and kind of go out somewhat on a, you know, good-ish note. Uh, have you taken a look at the pop quiz? I just pulled it up. Um, Yeah. I think all the names. One of the questions, what's the 66th best-selling candy bar in the United States? Because if so, we've already covered that base, right? Four was interesting to me, Scotty. Mm-hmm. By the way, for those that care, we uh, I believe we're done, right, with GM openings in the NFL. Was it just Arizona and Tennessee? Yeah. Um, so, for anybody curious if Ryan Grigson's name was thrown around, did not see his name thrown around for either of those openings. It is pop quiz time. Here on Kevin Aquaria, we're giving away a Jiffy Lube oil change for the winner of the pop quiz. 317-239-1070. Pop quiz is next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Have you studied... Can you handle the pressure? Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the Pop Quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. 
So for those out there that have seen the update uh, for our app, 107.5 The Fan, I know there's been a couple glitch issues, so apologies on that front. It sounds like if you re-download the app after the update, everything is smooth from there. So hopefully that will be the route to go. Um, Again, for those that don't view the app, you can check us out on YouTube, Terrestrial Radio. Uh, and then I was unfamiliar with this until a few weeks ago. If you have HD radio in your car, 93.1, da- is it dash two? And three. And three. Dash two and How does it work? How do I get to the dash? What do I do there? So I actually I just, just pushing buttons? started scrolling and it automatically showed up for me. Last time I I was trying to get that, I just kept pushing buttons, right? And Eventually? A guy in Boise called me and goes, hey, knock it off, right? That's an old Stephen Wright joke. Do you guys know Stephen Wright? I know. Yeah, I know who he is. Yeah, not not like uh, super super like this. <laughs> well, <laughs> but yeah, re-download the app for those out there. Again, apologies on that front. How do, how do I get the HD again? Go to ninety three point one, and then on my, you know, scan it just automatically went to the HD as as I scanned it from ninety three point one to you know ninety whatever four point seven. Oh really? 7. You just hit scan up one time, it, and it, it automatically went. Now. I, I'd also like to know... Great quality. When, takes a brief second to kind of lock in, but really good quality. When people are listening to us on the radio, does it have our names up there on their little dash? Um, That's a good question. I, I, I don't know what so. the hell's going on here, but Scotty's over here launching stuff. What, what are we doing? I heard Kyle Knezevich's name. Does Scotty not have there? a mute button on his phone? You know, we're doing a live radio program over <laughs> here. <laughs> Scotty, Scotty. <laughs> Scotty. Kyle blasting in my eardrum from well, that's the second the time I've heard Kyle all of, all of a sudden Scotty's over here listening to a Kiss concert I'm like what are we doing we're doing a live radio show here before we get to the pop quiz if I gave you the NFC East <laughs> and I took the field would you take that as a bet right now to win the Super Bowl you're taking the NFC East. And I'm taking the, the field. field. You guys oh, get the, the NFC East. Oh yeah, I would, I'll take the field. I would. You guys would need a little sweetener on that. Yeah, no, I'll take the field. Now, theoretically, if Dallas beats San Francisco, mm-hmm. you're guaranteed to have one of the NFC teams. Obviously, the field. Well, the NFC East teams in the Super Bowl. Eh, that's, that's obviously the, you're going to have the AFC team if you take the field. But give me the field. Again, first time ever. Uh, 02 is when we have this uh, playoff format change that you have three of the final four from one division there. So that is the NFC picture heading into this weekend. Jake, a number one through eight here for the pop quiz. Uh, We'll go Reb Porter style and go two. uh, Two. Two. Pam. Uh, Pam. Good morning, Pam. Good morning. Pam, Pam, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm shocked that I got on, so thanks, guys. Pam, have you called the program before? I have not called you guys before. I've talked to JMV before. You are, I believe, our our second ever female listener in the history of this program, so we're excited by that. Uh, Can we play a little third? I thought we went Colleen Bowen, Karen Query, and then Pam. (laughs) No, my my mom actually uh, broke her radio trying to find the the HD thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Pam, can we play a little Get to Know Your Listener? It's a segment we do sometimes, and we've had a lot of success with it. Okay. Uh, If you don't mind me asking, Pam, are you native to Indianapolis? I am not. I grew up in the Akron area, so I'm a Browns fan primarily, but cheer for the Colts when they're not playing my Browns. Go Zips! And, and may I ask Go what brought Zips, you to Indianapolis right. from the Akron area? Uh, a job, so okay. yeah. 
Yeah. And do you find yourself partial to Goodyear or Firestone? I don't care. Whatever's cheapest. Okay. Because those are both, that's got to be like a tug of war in Akron, isn't it? It is. It is. The the blimp is really cool, so that makes me a little more partial toward Goodyear. The the blimp blimp. in the hangar is really cool. The blimp is pretty cool. Okay, Pam, in your experience since you've moved to Central Indiana, other than this fine Mm -hmm. non-award-winning radio program, what's the best (laughs) thing about living in Indianapolis? The people. Hoosier hospitality is a real thing. Okay. Now, now, Pam, do you have local fandom? I mean, you you said you're a Browns fan. Any local fandom? (laughs) Um, I'll I'll cheer for the Colts when they're not playing my Browns. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Um, I was in the Canton area a few years, or in the Akron area. Nice. Canton is a little bit south of there, of course, mm-hmm. um, for the Hall of Fame game. So that was, that was a fun Which trip. It was amazing. Yeah, they're building a whole uh, village around there now, so it's going to be a really cool destination. I you know that. That's awesome. Uh, do you know what the Colts yeah. and Browns have in common, Pam? They both stink. Uh, John, John Elway has screwed both franchises, right? Oh, I can't stand John Elway. I still don't like the Broncos because of that. Uh, there we oh, go. That's great. Okay, that Pam. Would you, uh, would you like? For, by the way, Pam, would you like to come to our PBR party? I don't drink, but I. I well, I diet like cokes are more than you. Uh, we'll have plenty I, of diet coke. Diet there. coke is my favorite. So okay. yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, yeah we're gonna great. have some liquid Even death like, there. Certainly, uh, liquid death water as well. All right, would you like for me? That would be Jake, or for Kevin to lead you off with question number one. I'll go with you, Jake. I used to like you when you talked when you were on Query and Schultz, so I'll stick with you, buddy. Sorry. Okay. Well, Kevin. I appreciate that. It sounded like past um, tense. Now used you said to like used you to. There. Does that mean yeah. you don't like me uh-huh. anymore? Well, no, I still do. Okay, I still thank do. You. <laughs> All right, here we go, uh, Pam. She knows she knows where one. the clues are coming from there. She <laughs> knows right. this isn't her first rodeo. Including this weekend's divisional round matchups. Now, Pam, I realize as a Browns fan, playoff trivia, probably not a strong suit, so I'll no, work with you here. No. Uh, including this weekend's divisional round matchups, the record for the most times that teams have faced each other in the NFL playoffs is nine. Which of the following teams have played each other nine times? Nine times nine in the NFL times. postseason. Would it be the Cowboys and 49ers? Would it be the Cowboys and Rams? Would it be the 49ers and Packers? Or, and this is always the option to go with when it's presented, because otherwise it wouldn't be presented. Is it all of the above? (laughs) All of the above, really? Now, I was thinking Cowboys-Steelers right off the bat, but I guess guess we'll go with all of the above. Why not? Nine times. Pam, did you go to Akron? I did. Oh, so you are a, a zip. big Zips yes, fan. I'm a zip. Catch yes. them in a game up in uh, up in Muncie here. Uh, all right, right. number two, Joel Embiid scored 41 in the 76ers win over the Clippers last night. It was Embiid's eighth 40-point game this season, the second most in the league. Who has more 40-point games in the NBA this season? This guy once got ejected from a game at then Bankers Life Fieldhouse for punting the ball into the stands. A. Luka Doncic, B. Giannis Antetokounmpo, C. Nikola Jokic, or D. Demar Derozan. Let's go with Luka. I really don't know. I'm not. See, since I'm not from here originally, I'm not a huge basketball person. It's an outstanding now, gut feel uh, there. Pam, did you ever wear uh, stride right zips when you were a kid? The tennis shoes? <laughs> no, I didn't. You know, they make you run fast, cut sharp. Okay, there's. Yeah. <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, Pam, question number three for you. Nikola Jokic had a 30... Easy for me to say. Nikola Jokic had a 36-point triple-double last night as the Nuggets beat Portland. He hit 13 of 14 shots from the field for 93% field goal percentage, just the fourth time in NBA history that a player has recorded a 30-point triple-double while shooting at least 90% from the field. He has now done it twice. 
Only one other player has accomplished this incredibly tongue-twisting numerical feat on two occasions. Which former Kansas Jayhawk was it? Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Oscar Robertson, or Wilt Chamberlain? I Wilt was my gut feeling, so let's go with Wilt. Okay. I don't know where he went to college, though, so it's probably wrong. Okay. All right, number four. Pam, Pam who's your favorite Cleveland Brown player of all time? Bernie Kosar. Bernie. You know, he had a record at one time for most consecutive passes without an interception. He is awesome. He's amazing. He's my fave. Okay. Gonna go with former Colt legend Josh Cribbs. You know, I think he was a he was a Browns legend as well. All right, number four, Pam, the former Indianapolis Colt, who reportedly will be named the new general manager of the Titans. A. David Thornton. B. Rob Morris. C. Ron Carthon. Ran Carthon, excuse me. Or D. Reggie Wayne. Oh wow, um, I I don't know the answer, but I would hope it's Reggie because he's cool. This guy's kind of a runner. Oh, God. Yeah, I don't off-brand know. Think off-brand colas. Think off-brand colas. Did Jake just drop an oh, God, at a hint that I gave? <laughs> Is that pot kettle black? Is that not? David Thornton, Rob Morris, name in vain. Rand Carthon, or Reggie Wayne? <laughs> now I'm stumped about the off-brand cola, so I don't know. Jake, you confused, Pam. How did I confuse her? <laughs> Pam, would you be most Are you going likely, with Wayne? Pam, if you were in the... The soda aisle, would you be most likely to see a DT Cola, RM Cola, RC Cola, or RW RC Cola? RC Cola, RC Cola. Oh, Thank you. Jeez, oh man, that was dense. <laughs> Sorry. All right, comes down to this, Pam. Pam, have you ever watched a television show by chance called A Million Little Things? No. That's too bad, because that would help you on this last question. I usually just watch sports, so... Okay, fair enough. 65 years ago today, Willie O'Ree became the first African-American to appear in a National Hockey League game. With which team did he break the NHL's color barrier? The Detroit Red Wings, the Boston Bruins, the Toronto Maple Leafs, or the New York Rangers? Um, Let's go with the Red Wings. All right. Sounds like mixed reviews, by the way, Jake, on if our name is popping up on the radio or if not. Well, one person said that they think it's a law firm, and then I thought, well, that would be Kevin and Query, right? Sure. Attorneys yeah. at law. Yeah, that is. Pam, unbelievable job. Let's see how uh, she did. The following teams have played each other nine, te- nine times nine in the NFL times. postseason. Nine times. <laughs> Indeed, all the above. Cowboys yeah, 49ers. Cowboys Rams. 49ers Packers. Five and three, by the way, all time Cowboys over 49ers in the playoffs. Pam, for question number two, was there a reason you went with Luka Doncic? No, no reason at all. It was a great gut, gut. gut feel again. Yeah, he yeah. punted the ball in the stands. Remember that, Jay? Yeah. Got ejected? Well, her, her instinct was correct. I'm not going to say her gut because Pam being a lady, her, her instinct was correct. Luka Doncic was correct for question number two. For question number three, uh, Pam again went with her instinct. Wilt Chamberlain, in fact, Brown, a Kansas Jayhawk. Yeah, Rand Carthon going to be the GM of the Titans, so pair him with Mike Vrabel. Comes from the 49ers, right, Scotty? Yes. Assistant GM, San Francisco. For question number five, which is interesting because of cities that have always kind of been linked to kind of racial undertones in terms of their professional sports. But if I'm not mistaken, and Scotty will correct me if I'm wrong here, I believe Bill Russell was the first African-American coach in NBA history. And 
Willie O'Ree became the first African-American player in the NHL with the Boston Bruins. The Boston Bruins. Pam, thanks so much. Appreciate it. And appreciate the kind words. Kevin, have you ever watched a million little things? Yeah. Uh, well, Maddie primarily is watching it, but yeah. Um, is it resurfaced? Because it took like a long hiatus. I didn't know if the new season was on. But uh, the That's Boston Bruins is the team that is the epicenter of that television. Pam's got to be happy because uh, the Browns will be at Lucas Oil Stadium this coming season. Do you like the Browns? Please, please you got to respect the Browns, right? Yeah, they're, they're, I, I am. I, I mean, I know he obviously the Deshaun Watson situation has created a whole lot of discussion about it. I really like their GM, Andrew Barry. Uh, used to be the Colts, tremendous dude. So, um, yeah, and, and I have a soft spot for fan bases that suffer. Yeah, I mean, it's been a long. You are a Notre Dame basketball right? fan, after all. <laughs> <laughs> now, in the last, you know, I said this to an IU fan the other day, Jake. In the last decade, Notre Dame eight NCAA tournament wins, Indiana five. Man, Notre Dame has had a great run under Mike Bray. A great run. It's Wasn't time. Notre Dame the first victory that Indiana got in Assembly Hall under Bob Knight. Sounds like 92 right. Ninety-two to something. Um, Mike Bray also gave Tom Crean his biggest loss ever. At IU. Did he really? 38 points in the Maui invite. 88 to 50. That was when Notre Dame had, who was all my passwords? Oh, Luke Herringody. Herringody. Legend. <laughs> or, Again, he looks kind of like a bear, doesn't he? Oh, he looks awesome. I want Wink Martindale and Luke Herringody to have a kid, and we'll see. How that looks. Uh, Indiana at Assembly Hall. It was not the, my apologies, not the first win in Assembly Hall, but um, they defeated Bob Knight's Indiana team in his first year, defeated Notre Dame in 19, December of 71, so the 72 season, 94 to 29. That's got to be a misprint. No, that's correct. 94 to 29. Felt like I was watching that last night, honestly, with Notre Dame. Uh, All right, we'll do one final time here. The next day on the radio, they're like, fire Mike Bray. (laughs) Kevin and Quarry, one final time. John McLeod's got... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Gotta go. Feel like I'm playing a video game there. Um, I'm going to read to you, Kevin. I, I, I thought this was interesting. By the way, there's like a Pac-Man at the Children's Museum that I just really... Do you know where I'm talking, Mark? Like oh, in yeah. the merry-go-round area? Get the kids out of the way? I, I really hope like no one sits in that when I'm there. Mister, I'm can like, I play that? Get out of here, yeah, kid. I'm, I'm going for the high Rosie, store. Rosie, go play at the ice cream store. I'm going to play Pac-Man for My a few. My cousin has one of the old-school like sit-down tabletop Pac-Mans. Oh, man. Yeah, that. well, the, that's kind of what this is, yeah. yeah. So cool. Um, there was one in the St. Louis Museum, Science Museum, or something like that. They had a, a full size, like a gigantic, like old school Nintendo controller, and you jump on it and you play Super Mario Brothers on it. It was incredible. That's pretty. They cool. had an Indy 500 video game in the early 2000s. Really? Yeah, I was unbelievable at it. How did I never come across that? You sat in it. It was just like the Daytona one they had, but it was Indy 500. For what? What uh, gaming console? That's a good, I'm like a video. I mean, like a arcade game. Oh, okay. Not like a Nintendo Correct. or playstation uh i'm gonna read to you kevin i looked this up last night i I have no idea why i just got curious and i i think people thought that i was saying this as some sort of a snub or to be snarky i I literally was just doing it out of interest level Uh uh-huh 
players who have left the Indiana basketball program and where they are now and, and how their season is going. I'm going to give you the player. You tell me their point and rebound average. Okay. Oh, okay. So Michael, these are transfers out of the program? Correct. Michael Durr playing for Central Florida. God. Hell, I feel like he couldn't even score when he was at South Florida. Ah, uh, had five points a game. Rebounds? Four. 4.9 points, 4.6 rebounds. Oh, here we go. Parker Stewart playing for Tennessee Martin. Uh, we'll go points and assists. Which is where he originated from, right? Didn't Correct. he? His dad was there and his dad passed. Um, he's probably averaging 12 a game. Okay. Assists? Uh, two. 16 points, two assists per game. Uh, Demise Anderson playing for Mike Davis in Detroit Mercy. I saw Mike Davis' son set the record for most threes ever in NCAA. Yeah, his NCAA son's history averaging 26 a game, Antoine. Uh, Demise Anderson is averaging six a game. Uh, he is averaging eight and a half points and four rebounds per game. Christian Lander, five star. God, I forgot all about Lottery Lander. pick, point guard, now at Western Kentucky. God, you would hope. Points and assists. You'd hope 10 and four, but I don't know, eight and three. He's averaging 3.9 points and 0.8 assists per game. Wow. Uh, two more here. Jerome, Armand Franklin, by the way, who I forgot to look up, is having a nice season oh, yeah. for Providence. Uh, for uh, Virginia, right? Or Virginia, excuse me, yeah. Uh, Jerome Hunter in Ooh, Actually, it's one of my good buddies went to uh, Xavier. So Xavier or Xavier? Xavier. Xavier. Uh, so I've actually watched them a decent amount. He comes off the bench. I'm going to guess he's averaging uh, six and two. Uh, five and a half points, three rebounds per game. And lastly, even though he's now out with injury, but in the eight games that he played, Rob Finnessy at Cincinnati. Points and assists. Nine and three. Uh, 1.9 points and 2.4 assists per game. Really? Gosh, he was averaging more than that at Indiana's last year. Yeah. I, I mean, he only played eight games, so. Yeah. And this is just random thought popped into your head, J- just to look this up. What was I, I was watching something? Eric Hunter, did that pop into your head? Like that's what from that's Purdue exactly to Butler? what it was. Okay. Rich Nye had pointed out that Eric Hunter has been struggling at Butler, struggling at Butler. <laughs> <laughs> you knew where I was going with that. I right, don't Mark? care how the Jets play. <laughs> <laughs> I want to kiss you. <laughs> But I was that uh, video, and I think of the Jags lady now a lot more after the Jags. Apparently, win. the Jags lady's no longer with us. Ooh, R.I.P. That's one of the great sound bites in the history. Yeah, of Mark, local we, we got to play that on Friday. Play it right now. <laughs> certainly, a good time. certainly not. The first year we took it to the limit, and I was in my beach house down in Miami. <laughs> So Eric Hunter is how that popped in yeah. to your head? Certainly not the first. Uh, you guys want to take a bet at the uh, exact Super Bowl matchup favorite right now? What is the exact matchup that is considered the favorite right now? Rematch of the 89 Super Bowl, San Francisco, Cincinnati. I'll say Chiefs-Eagles. At plus 480, it's the 49ers and the Chiefs. Okay. Plus 525, Eagles, Chiefs. What would you get for Jags? Jags, Giants? Yeah, Jags, Giants. Oh, boy. I, I only looked at the first four. Can you imagine? That's got to be the longest shot of all of them. Goodell is just sweating hearing you say that. <laughs> I guess the Giants wouldn't be the Giants world. Giants would get you but... the New York audience. And the Jags would get this gal, right? 
I mean, this would be the best thing about oh, it. Shoot. What, what, oh, shoot. Did the show end? What if, what if, God, we're fired early. You can't have people just tuning us out here. Still got, what, three minutes? By the rules. You can't have a newcomer come in and steal a show. <laughs> Do we have it dialed up? <laughs> That's it? Are you not hearing it? Oh, he no. can't hear it. Kevin can't hear it. On, He's got Kevin. the wrong ears. Th- this is equivalent to, for those that, that, aren't, that can't see us, we... We have the headsets on, and Kevin has one ear slid over, which I do the same. But but sometimes the headsets come in in stereo, so you have one channel that has something. That, in IndyCar radio, we have when we have our earmuffs on, one side has programming and one side has intercom. And Michael Young always slides his intercom ear over, and Mark James gets on the intercom and is sitting there going, Michael Young! Michael Young! <laughs> <laughs> Mark, he doesn't have his intercom on. Well, you guys are both quiet. I'm like, I think it's playing. I'm not 100% sure if it's playing, but... Michael Young! <laughs> Kevin oh Bowen. God. I feel like I'm back in junior high. Kevin Bowen to the front office. Kevin Bowen to the front office. Oh, uh, The Tom Brady favorite for next year? This is, I think, pretty obvious. If it's not the Bucks, uh, Raiders? Raiders. Raiders or Saints? Raiders, the favorite. You would guess Saints a second. Mark, yep. who do you got a second? 49ers. J-E-T-S. Oof. Okay. you imagine that, going back to that division? Shades of Brett Favre if that happens. Isn't that his son's name? Jet? Yes. Really? Mm-hmm. Jet, Jet Brady? Brady? Hmm. Look it up. About the that. son that he had with... what's it, what? Did you say you don't know about that? Are you doubting me? I, I don't know if that's true. You, you know, like Drew, wager? Drew you Brees. Or nothing on our PBR. Drew Brees I has got to like my PBR first of all. <laughs> He's got a Bowen Brown on it. One of uh, Drew's boys named Bowen. Really? Tom Brady, slight favorite to retire, by the way, in Vegas. Minus 150. My cousin, who owns and operates Bowen Engineering on the north side of Indianapolis, there is a Bowen Engineering laboratory on the Purdue campus. Do you think that's where Drew Brees came up with the name? Ooh, that's interesting. Drew Brees is, I mean, obviously we saw you know him being the assistant for them during the bowl season. I mean, he he wants to be a part of Purdue. Like he's see. very connected from an alum. No, I standpoint. don't think he'd want to leave with that. Taste. I don't see any Jet names for Tom Brady's kid. It's Jack Benjamin. Well, I can't Benjamin. wait to talk about this for the next twenty minutes yeah. after the show. What what's the name of the actress that he had the child? Bridget Monahan. Okay. Oof. I'm telling you right now. Don't believe me. Pacers Thunder tonight, 8 o'clock. Our coverage will begin at 7.30. A four-point underdog, I think, last I saw. Uh, college basketball-wise, Indiana and Purdue both hit the road tomorrow in the Big Ten. John Edward Bruce Thomas. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.